BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. He said, when Grace Jones went to bed with Moore, I was sure the producers had hit on a way to kill the old fellow with dignity. Gold Diamonds and Death, a James Bond podcast. I am your double O host, Jonathan Watkins. I'm a writer for all things under the CinemaSense brand name and a co-host of the Behind the Sense podcast. Joining me each and every week for this endeavor, he's the co-founder of CinemaSense and co-host of the weekly podcast, Recotopia, and really loves it when bubbles tickle his Tchaikovsky. Hmm. hmm. And he's... Now, I thought we were, we told, we said that we wouldn't put that on the podcast, oh, but crap, now that it's out, crap. now that it's out... Uh, uh, I feel liberated, <laughs> and I can tell you that, yes, I do like Bubbles it's, touching my Tchaikovsky. I mean, I know, like, a lot of people probably don't know that actress by name, but, like, it's just, like, it's, that that is a line that I will forever associate with that person. Like, I could never, like, mm-hmm. think of anything else. She could be, like, yeah. in this, like, serious Oscar bait drama, like, addicted to cocaine, and I'm just going to think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Why? you're sitting there thinking about Bubbles touching her Tchaikovsky. <laughs> But anyways, he's also one of my good friends, Mr. Chris Atkinson. How are you doing, sir? Hello, I'm doing fine. I'm doing well. And now, uh, this week is really exciting. We're going to talk about a Duran Duran song called uh, From a View to a Kill. I'm really excited. Mm -hmm. It's going to be an hour and a half. Hour and a half. Duran Duran. We're going to break down all the instrumentation (laughs) and uh, interviews with Duran Duran over the years about the song, (laughs) which was their only hit. Their only hit. Yeah, only hit. They never had another hit. Before uh, or after. Uh, I mean, Duran Duran, that was the first and last time you heard of them was on the When I hear them, I always think about the, what was the woman's name, the character that Mike Myers did on Saturday Night Live? It was like the coffee shop. It was like the coffee Uh, Linda Rickman. Yeah. And she would do that, like, I'm getting verklempt, and then she would say, like, talks amongst yourselves and then she would give a topic and one of them was talk amongst yourselves duran duran is neither duran nor duran yeah (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yep (laughs) so uh they've also had some really good music but uh that's just what i always think of when i when i think of duran duran i mean only hardcore music fans really that's true like yeah who's duran Duran? (laughs) right i do wonder though is that a band that i wonder if young people still know like i mean i maybe i'm sure they do i'm sure there's some that uh, i mean 
Especially like Ordinary World, probably like That's true. you know one of those. I, I mean, Hungry Like the Wolf has probably uh, gotten to a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, like do they have know? like any? I wonder if they have like any songs that play like in stadiums or anything because that that seems to be like where a lot of people, mm-hmm. like a lot of younger people, learn about music as you know going mm-hmm. to events and stuff. I don't know. Maybe Hungry Like a Wolf. Maybe Rio is a song people. Yeah, know. I mean some of those heyday eighty songs. I'm sure that it sure have have translated. It's hilarious how that was a joke but we've now talked about them for like six minutes but uh mm-hmm. and we're gonna talk well, that's about what happens when yeah. you talk about really obscure bands that you <laughs> love that nobody else knows i was playing a game at a, a one of our neighbor's house and one of the answers was like the rolling stones and then this woman's husband at the thing was like, how do you know everything jonathan i'm like it's the fucking rolling stone like do you not know who the rolling stones are and this I've, dude is I've, younger I've than me but he's in, not that much younger than into me this. Huh? Yeah, I've actually run into this kind of thing before. It's crazy, before, right? But like, I mean, like, I like, I understand certain things people not knowing, but like stuff that's universal, like Rolling Stones yeah. or whatever. That's something that everybody I feel like, like should know. I don't know anything about soccer, but like, I know who Pele is. You know, it's like <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, yeah, people that yeah. know anything about baseball are basketball probably know who michael jordan is i mean that's what the rolling mm-hmm. stones feels like that's it to me maybe it's not i don't know you know yeah i don't know knows? that'd be who like knows? not knowing what star wars was like I, it's just yeah. weird i don't know but anyway mm-hmm. uh yeah so obscure bands that's our next podcast we'll be into mm-hmm. that in just mm-hmm. a few weeks um, Yep, duran duran episode one yeah so we are talking about the 1985 uh james bond film uh we're back in the official canon we will be in the official canon for the rest of time i think uh, mm-hmm. unless something happens in the future that we, we're not aware of. But uh, this movie is called A View to a Kill. Uh, it was originally the the story that it took the title from, and it only took the title from the story. We're actually not going to do the book segment again this week because there's no reason, but I will go over kind of like real quick, like a synopsis of the story. But mm. there's nothing. I mean, it's they took the title. What I think is weird, though, the title of the story and the title of the Duran Duran song is From A View to a Kill. And so they took off the from, which is really odd because now the title, at least to me, doesn't make sense. Like, what the fuck is a view mm-hmm. to a kill? Like, from a view mm-hmm. to a kill, mm-hmm. that's like an action happening, right? You're going from yeah. viewing it to killing it or whatever. Like, what the hell is a view to a kill? <laughs> like, I just don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess it could mean that you're at a spot where you have a view and there is someone in your yeah, sight. But then it would be of a kill, kill, but I don't know. But see, I think that would be view of a kill. View, I don't know. I don't know. I can see it. I can see that sure being the same thing. But no, no. <laughs> I mean, I understand. I understand. No, I mean, it's just how you interpret it. Um, it's just weird they took the from off. Like, I really I actually tried to look up why they did that. I couldn't find anything. But I'm like really curious. Yeah. Like, what What was it about that? It's like a, It's like the Facebook thing, right? Take off the V. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> right, right. But, you know, whatever. What? I mean, we'll get to this, I'm sure, anyway. But we might as well go ahead and get it out of the way. It leads to one of the worst roll credits, quote unquote, moments ever <laughs> That's in a film. That's fair. Ever. That's fair. Yeah. Um, so um, so I I would rather it be from a view to a kill myself, yeah. but so that just so that they wouldn't have that autocomplete shit that Christopher Walken does when they're in the blimp going over the golden glade. So, you know, uh, yeah, it's a, it's it's one of the worst all time. All right. So uh we're going to talk about uh, a lot of things about the movie, though. Uh, but first, we're going to go talk about kind of the behind the scenes. This is a segment we like to call Eon Flux. This is a journey. I'm 
gonna make a movie! We have to go back, Kate. Wow, how did you know all that stuff? I did my research. I don't understand any of this. What the fuck is going on? We're going to scour through the history of Eon Productions and give you all the highs and lows that went into the making of these films. Uh, View to a Kill was released May 24th, 1985, two days before my ninth birthday in Ooh. the U.S., uh, it was released on June 13th, 1985 in the UK. The premiere was in San Francisco on May 22nd. It was mm -hmm. the very first uh, premiere that was not in the UK. Uh, even the movies where the yep. release date was in the was in the US first, the premiere was still... Uh, sort of goes to show when you have a mayor who gives you every possible break <laughs> in, in filming, uh, you get the movie premiere. And that's it was Diane Feinstein was the mayor of San Francisco yeah. at the time who gave them all that leeway to shoot in San Francisco. Yeah, because they shot like everywhere. Like, I mean, everywhere. And mm -hmm. I, yeah, I can't even imagine. But uh, yeah, so it got the premiere on May 22nd. Uh, uh, made 152 million, a little over 152 million on a on a round. I saw 30 to 35 million budget. Uh, that was worldwide. Made 50.3 mm -hmm. million in the U.S. Finished 13th at the U.S. box office. I actually, I I'm, I feel confident in saying this. I meant to actually go back and check, but I box office mojo only goes up to like 77 or starts at like 77. But I'm almost positive this is the only bond. This is the first Bond film to not finish in the top 10 at the U.S. Mm. box office. That's probably because I think true. even Man with a Golden Gun, which Man with a Golden Gun was a hit, so yeah, it did. But uh, it's it's probably true. I think that's yeah. true because I mean, of course, now we're knee deep yeah. in to where there are a ton of just movies being yeah, made exactly. for blockbusters. Exactly, and yeah. I should say the official Bond franchise, Never Say Never Again, was not in the top ten, and uh, Casino Royale was it was not in the top ten either. Yeah, or the original Casino Royale, not the not the one that comes out in a. Mm-hmm. 20 years, I guess, after this one. Uh, 21 years. So, uh, finished 13th. Made about 300000 less than Fletch. So, it was right there between the 12 and 13. Hmm. And then it uh, it made about a million more than National Lampoon's European Vacation. So, it was it was, it was was fit hmm. between Chevy Chase movies. It's yes. uh, <laughs> amazing. Little, Chevy Chase had a really good year, by the way. Spies Like Us was in the top 10 that year. Uh, it was nine. Oh, wow. So... Uh, he had three films between like nine and uh, fourteen or whatever. Uh, Police Academy, mm -hmm. two, other films that finished ahead of it. Police Academy two. Oh wait, no, maybe Spies Like Us was like eleventh. Either way, other films that finished ahead of it. Police Academy two, Spies Like Us, The Goonies, Witness, Jewel of the Nile. It's a pretty fun year. Cocoon, Out of Africa, which won the Best Picture. So back then, Best mm -hmm. Picture usually meant it was a top ten movie. Color Purple, Rocky Four, of course. Uh, uh, so Stallone had the number two and the number three because Rambo was first blood part two was number two. Yeah. And then, of course, number one, which was in first place Back yeah, to the by a little over 60 million. Mm. Uh, the movie that made uh, young Chris Atkinson a huge, huge film fan and a, and a lover of mm -hmm. uh, Chuck Berry. So... That's yeah. right. Uh, That's correct. No, that was a good year, though. 85. I know his entire filmography. Yeah, you're right. We're finally getting into where it's like there are a lot of just big, giant blockbusters. That's going to get even crazier as we get like into the 90s yep. and 2000s. But um, and it's not to say Bond still doesn't do well. It absolutely does. But uh, mm -hmm. it's not going up just against like, um, you know, like Breakfast at Tiffany's and stuff like that anymore. Like it's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It's going up against like juggernaut franchises and. and 
and stuff and like that. And it's just it's a constant stream. That's the other thing. There's more and more movies being made, so there's there's more there's more uh, dissection of the audience. Exactly. And, and uh so if it's not running it's not like going coming out and it's the only movie in town yeah. it's coming out with like two or three other movies yeah sometimes. and it's not you know and, and releases are different right every wide releases keep every year they keep going into more theaters there's more theaters being built multiplexes all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so it's just there's a lot more stuff out there to watch and uh yeah so and it doesn't get as like you said it doesn't get as much of a gap in between uh, blockbusters, which is kind of funny because right now that is kind of the case because we're still kind of, you know, post COVID, but, uh, I think that's going to kind of get more back to normal here pretty, pretty soon. Mm -hmm. All right. So yeah, going into the production, uh, I already said title is taken from a short story. It's in the, it's in the, for your eyes only collection. And like I said, the title was from a view to a kill, uh, which is also the title that was actually shown at the end of Octopussy. It said James Bond will return in from a view to a kill. And then for whatever reason, they just, uh, they took off the from. I'll tell you real quick because, like I said, I don't. There's not enough here to go in to have like a section about the story, but I will say the the story is very short. It's it's okay. I mean, it's there's it's not bad by any means, but it's not that interesting. It, and I can tell why they didn't do it for the movie. It's just uh, Bond gets sent to investigate this uh, motorcycle uh, dispatch rider gets uh, gets killed. And uh, Elm thinks there's something going on there because he had some documents in his possession. So Bond just basically gets sent to go find out what happened. He goes undercover as a dispatch writer, finds the assassin, kills the assassin, and then takes down the uh, organization. It's it's not that interesting. I mean, it's just that's all there is to it. There's mm-hmm. really nothing else to it. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't use any of it for uh, for the story. Uh, there wasn't like a fire truck chase or anything like that. And unfortunately. But uh, but mm-hmm. there is in the movie. Uh, the film was produced, yeah. uh, obviously, Albert Broccoli, Michael G. Wilson. Uh, Michael G. Wilson wrote the screenplay with our good buddy Richard Maybaum. Yeah. Uh, Maybaum, uh, well, I'll get in that in a second. Uh, this is the third film of uh, five, I guess. We've got two more uh, that John Glenn's going to direct. Like I said, we've said this. He directs every uh, main Bond film of the 80s. Never Say Never Again is the only thing he obviously isn't involved in. Um. Mm-hmm. A View to a Kill was originally going to be an episode. Uh, it was going to be adapted for an episode of that abandoned CBS series uh, from the uh, 50s that we've talked about. I don't know. It was just a, mm-hmm. it was a James Bond series. This was going to be one of the episodes, but it never got made. Uh, George McDonald Frazier was asked to write the screenplay initially. He was the writer on Octopussy, uh, but he wasn't available. So they brought Maybaum in. Maybaum's original script, which this sounds terrible, but I kind of wish they had done this. Uh Zorin is manipulating Halley's Comet uh, into crashing into Silicon Valley. Did you hear? Did you hear about this? Okay. Yes, I heard about this. Yes, <laughs> that would have been kind of amazing. And they thought that would be too unrealistic. Yeah, that's what so I they went yeah, with Broccoli, or Wilson's. Like we need to, we need to be a little more realistic. So, I, but if you're telling me that what we saw was realistic, I, I have. In yeah. fact, oh, I'll talk about that. I guess we talk about the review, uh, but. Uh, uh, the original script also had Barbara Bach returning, which actually makes sense because the um, the character that's uh, was uh, Pola Ivanova, the Tchaikovsky we, that we mentioned. Yeah, uh, her character she's played by Fiona Fullerton, who does a very good job. But uh, you know, you get the impression because at first I'm like, are we supposed to know who this is? Because Bond just knows her. Yeah, and so I thought for yeah. a second it was her, but just played by yeah. a different actor. And then, and then I was like, no, that's not the same no, name. Yeah. So they so, just changed yeah. the name. I, I, I almost wish they had just 
kept it the same because it because it kind of yeah, makes no might, sense. Might I mean, well. I guess it, I guess we're just to assume Bond's met people before that we've never seen, but it, I don't know. It feels yeah. awkward. That doesn't ruin. That's not why. That's not a problem really, based on everything else that happens in the movie. But it's just weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. This would be the first Bond movie to have a disclaimer attached to it. They found out there was a company called Zorin. <laughs> it was uh, it was spelled differently. It had an A N, but uh, they still felt the need to uh, to make sure everybody knew the mm-hmm. Zorin Corporation wasn't. They looked into that company and they said that is a company that might <laughs> one day try to put put a bunch of explosives in the San Andreas Fault and then like try to blow it oh up and cause a silicone. So so we better like we better make a disclaimer that it isn't about them. <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. Uh, this is uh, Living Daylights, which we'll talk about next week, will actually be the second uh, uh, film to have a disclaimer. I, I didn't write down. I can't remember what it was now. It was. I, I guess I'll find that out when I talk about Living Daylights. But I did write down that it was the second one to have a disclaimer. Uh, the film was shot uh, a bunch of locations. Uh, Pinewood Studios, Iceland, Switzerland, France, the and in the U.S. Uh, a lot of French landmarks in this. Eiffel Tower. Uh, the Jules Verne restaurant, which is in the Eiffel Tower, uh, the Chateau de Chantilly. Uh, they also filmed in mm-hmm. San Francisco, all over San Francisco, as we already alluded to, uh, because they got all kinds of crazy permissions. Uh, Fisherman's Wharf, of course, the the Dunsmuir House, which is actually in Oakland, uh, City Hall, Golden Gate Bridge, and uh, the Lefty O'Doul Bridge, which is where the fire truck scene uh, was filmed. I, mm-hmm. I, I, it was cool because I've actually been to San Francisco because I haven't been to a lot of these countries they go yeah. to. So when I was watching them in San Francisco, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's cool. Because uh, yeah, I, I love San Francisco. So it was cool watching all that. Um, mm-hmm. So also Pinewood Studios, I don't know if you read about this or heard about this, but it... Uh, yeah, this was in the uh, behind the scenes, yeah. Yeah, so fucking uh, Ridley Scott's Legend yeah. <laughs> was filming at Pinewood Studios. <laughs> And apparently they like left behind a bunch of like petrol or something, mm-hmm. and the the there was a fire, and the double oh seven uh, stage burnt down like it was destroyed. Yep. Uh, so they did film in some other stages a few things, but uh, they did have to have that stage. I think the mine, uh, I think it's on the new stage that they built mm-hmm. the mi- the whole mine thing, which is huge. Yeah, uh, they didn't get any of that done till like January of '85. It's only a few months before this movie gets released. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, the uh, from what I understand, it burned down, and then Peter Lamont, who's who's been taking over yes. the production design since uh, Ken Adam, is, was like, uh, Jesus, what are we gonna do now? We we have some of these things yeah. require a, a studio that is of this size to film it. And so ultimately he came to Broccoli and said, all right, do you want to rebuild this or not? And he said, yes. And luckily the guy who originally built the, uh, built the studio said, I can get this up in three months. And basically it's the cleanup takes up a month and then rebuilding Mm -hmm. took two months and they got it up. I mean, that's an amazing feat, amazing feat. Yeah. And then got everything shot on it and then got it edited in time to release it like four months later. Mm -hmm. Um, they, uh, I, this is one of, I will say, I mean, I think we've kind of given away. We're not the hugest fans of this movie, but, uh, this is, uh, I think this is one of Lamont's better, uh, that mindset's pretty crazy. Like that's like the most Ken Adams mm-hmm. I've, I've seen him get. Yeah. And the, um, uh, the blimp, uh, the, bl- yeah, inside the, blimp. the blimp. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's, that's funny to think how like big, like, like they were trying to make blimps a thing yeah. in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I guess they were trying to like post Hindenburg. They were like, no, they're safe. I promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
please come do blimps. And I guess we still see them quite a bit. Like it, they still do good year and all that. Yep. Yeah. So, um, some of the stunt stuff, there's not, I actually don't like that. There's not a lot of like really interesting stuff here. Um, and, uh, and, and God, the stunt double work in this movie is wild. Awful. Um, like it's, it's, you can tell <laughs> too many times that it's not him, including those wigs. Yeah. The <laughs> wigs. But the worst one is when he is when he crashes through the boat into the cake. Yes. Oh, it's yeah. just a dummy. It's yeah. just like they just, just threw the dummy down in there and they're like, who cares if this looks real? Yeah, so we send this right before uh 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 what is No Time, no to, time die? to Die? Is that the last one? Yeah. Right before No Time to Die, uh, Chris had you had the great idea of doing all the last films of like each bond. Yeah. And so this was obviously the Roger Moore one. And I remember, I think I wrote, I think you were, you reviewed it or whatever, but I, th- I wrote it with uh, Ian Whittington, one of our uh, other, one of our great writers. And I think he was the one that wrote the sin about that, but it was crazy. Like when you slowed it down, cause I think we slowed it down in the video. And I mean, it's like, it's like a 24 year old, like, <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't look anything like Roger Moore. That's no, all. <laughs> no, no. And even like stuff like going up the steps, like they had a stunt double, like chasing Grace Jones up the steps and like, they're mm-hmm. not even trying to like hide it. You yeah. Know? And then all of a sudden there's a quick close up of Roger Moore, like pointing. Yeah. The gun or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor Roger Moore. Um, so well, even he knew at this point. Oh that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, I'm too he's... old to do this and yeah. you know, so he, I don't think he, I don't think he's taking offense from the grave or anything. So no, you know. no, no. I don't think he is. And mm-hmm. he, he. I mean, he, he. I mean, we talk about that more when I talk about him. But yeah, he hated. He mm-hmm. hated this movie. Yeah, <laughs> he was not yeah. a fan. He, yeah. he was not a fan of this movie at all for many reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, there. So, but one of the stunts uh, is is the parachute off the Eiffel Tower. I thought this was interesting. There were two people that were supposed to do jumps. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bj. Oh Worth my god! This is the best story of the all the behind the scenes. <laughs> well, definitely. Do you want to tell it? Then you're more than welcome to tell. It. It's Bj. Worth and no. Don, you go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Bj. Worth and Don Caldvet is how I'm going to pronounce his last name. So they were both supposed to jump. They got permission. Uh, I think it was. I don't know. I didn't. I I, I got the impression that like. Uh, Paris, like they were really nervous about this and they mm. weren't really a fan of them doing this. But then after, so after BJ Worth jumped and they actually got what they needed, they were like, well, we're not going to let the other guy jump. And then he got pissed, this Don Caldvet guy, yep. and he jumped anyway. Right. Yep. And then they had to fire him mm-hmm. because they On didn't know the what spot, else to do. Fired him. <laughs> and uh, they, they. This is probably worth it to him, though. He's probably like, I don't give a shit. Well, like, he's in the behind the scenes talking about this awesome. and saying that, you know, like it, it sucked that he wasn't going to be able to shoot. And, and uh, you know, so he did it anyway. And then. And then the, the the main parachute guy, the guy who's in who's in charge of it, was like he's like hey, he came up to me and I said I had to fire him on the spot. Yeah, think about like how big of a production this is, how this could have screwed uh, Bond productions in France forever after this and everything. And the guy who did it was like, yeah. When I look back on it now, I realized I definitely shouldn't have done that. You know, so <laughs> yeah, it was just an in the moment thing. I just can't imagine like being like so pissed. You're just like, but I'm just gonna jump. You know anyway. what? That's probably also something he thinks about. Like, yeah. I shouldn't have done that, but totally worth it. Is probably yeah, what he's sitting probably, there thinking. Probably, yeah. It's like it's like an Archer moment or mm-hmm. something. Um, yeah, that, I just thought that was hilarious. Uh, we already talked about Lamont design. That's the interior of the mine, and like I said, I think that felt like the most like Ken Adams thing. And like you said, the blimp was also uh, very much like a, a a Ken Adams thing, which is cool because that mine that mine is just huge. There's so mm-hmm. many, and then they had to like they had. I, it was multi-layered, I know, but then they had to they had to have enough room in it to where they could put all that water in it. Mm-hmm. 
um, yep. and then not destroy it. And like, it's like I don't even know how they were able to do all that they did. I mean, as much as I don't necessarily care for the sequence itself, it's yeah. really well done. Right. Um, which both those things can be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's plenty of like great stunts and great sets and movies that are terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always think about that scene in that Charlie Sheen movie, Terminal Velocity, yep. where like the skydiving scene where he opens a trunk of a car that's also falling and then gets uh, gets Natasha Kinski out of the trunk. I'm sure mm-hmm. this is not doubles, but uh, it's like one of the most amazing things still I've ever seen in any movie, and that mm. movie is garbage. It's balls, yeah. <laughs> it's the, so bad. Um, and just just very quickly getting back to yeah. the uh, the jump it. itself and all that. Like, yeah. Um, the other part of that story that's that's fairly interesting is that they you know they had to go to you know uh, the French government and say hey, we want to yeah we want to jump off the Eiffel Tower. And and apparently this meeting required uh, he the guy said and I don't know if he's exaggerating or not but it sounds like a very specific number he says there were thirty two or thirty three different heads of different departments that had to be in on this meeting to talk about how we were going to jump off the Eiffel Tower so you know it's like yeah. it's like your basic stuff French police uh, but then there's like aerial police and then there's like water police and like all these other different all these other different uh, departments have to do it and luckily for them I don't know if they had had they had him this guy hired right off the bat but they had a French production assistant or, or uh, yeah, a production manager who knew how to talk to these guys and was able to finagle his way through this really complex uh, negotiation, basically, mm-hmm. to get to, just to get have somebody jump off the Eiffel Tower. You wouldn't think that it would take that much, but it really, really does. And I know. That's, it, I don't know what they would have done uh, if they if they didn't get it. They would have probably just had to have some other kind of stunt. Well, yeah, or they would have built like they because you know the Golden Gate Bridge. They you know which I had that on here too. You sure. know they they actually built like a set uh, to have the because they obviously could have they're done not going to the be rear fighting. projection thing. That's what they do yeah. on the Golden Gate too. So yeah, but uh, but it's also I mean I'm glad they were able to get it. I mean it's also kind of crazy because you're like like half the French government is like tied up that day because of a fucking movie wanting to shoot something. <laughs> it's like that, yeah. like yeah. I can't even imagine like if that happened here and like we're like yeah you know Congress was having a meeting about whether or not they could do a stunt. It's like what like mm-hmm. aren't yeah. there aren't there isn't there like people that don't have food and like what's I mean what right. are we doing here. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I know it was another department and stuff. I mean, it's I'm not trying to say it was, but it's just crazy to right. think that like stuff uh, like a a three minute scene or whatever is you know, mm-hmm. or maybe less. Yeah. It's less than that yeah. if you're talking about just the jump. Um, and then uh, like I said, the Golden Gate Bridge fight, which is the other big spectacle, that was a mixture. They had scale models. Uh, they had visual effects, of course. They had that full scale. Rec- they had a full scale recreation of a large section of the bridge, so they could have them like. You know, because obviously they're not fighting. Yeah. It's like uh, out in the middle of like a yard of some sort. Yeah, it's so funny yeah. watching it. Like yeah. they're showing some of the behind the scenes. Golden yeah. Gate Bridge is sit- some- sitting there, like in England, just sitting there on a yeah. On the like it's, it looks like they're in somebody's like backyard or something. It's crazy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, it's like a Robert Rodriguez set because I've heard that like yeah. a lot of his stuff he just shoots in his backyard. 
he's got something yeah. going on back there. I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, that's what they did. They had the um, that the Tanya the Tanya Roberts hold uh, being held off the uh, edge of the Golden Gate. They just yeah. had some sort of uh, forward projection thing that was showing the waters below. And and other than you the, know, it looks than the, good. Yeah, other than the stuff we were talking about, like the obvious stunt doubles and stuff. I mean, yeah, it looks great. Uh, that that mm-hmm. that sequence does. Um, yeah, it's hard to believe that you know they didn't both fall, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the blimp they used was from Airship Industries. Uh, they were like really trying to market the hell out of their blimps. So uh, the the blimp in the movie was actually the same one that was used in the '84 Summer Olympics. Uh, it was uh, advertising Fujifilm, and so yep. they they painted over the Fujifilm with um, Zorin Industries or whatever. Uh, the movie uh, makes it seem like you could inflate the blimp in like just a couple minutes. That actually takes like yep. 24 hours, which I, I don't <laughs> think we send that. I wish I was like, well, I was reading that. I was like, damn, hey, I should have looked that up, man. I didn't even think about that, but maybe we did. Mm-hmm. And I just don't remember, but I was like, that's pretty funny. Cause they do just kind of, it's up, it's ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> like I'd be terrified <laughs> if that's how quick it took it to go too. I would want to get yeah. that thing. Like, fuck no. you. <laughs> like, no. Mm-hmm. All right. I feel I'd be like, uh, do you, have you seen that Archer episode where it's, they're on that blimp, uh, and he just I keeps making so. comments about like it's gonna explode or something. I don't know. Just, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of Archer, all right. So, uh, did you have any other stunt stuff? I know that's kind of you get interested. I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, they 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 talk about uh, the snowboard uh, sequence at oh, the beginning, yeah. uh, which is I don't. It's 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 worth mentioning because snowboarding had not yeah. was not a big thing, True. and the inventor of the snowboard. Uh, was the guy who uh, does one of the stunts mm-hmm. where he hits the two guys with his board and everything. I I think they undercut it once again. Uh, they put that Beach Boys, California Girls uh, over the soundtrack and everything. And it's just like, okay, that's funny. But now I've lost all the tension of this scene yeah, no, because that- you're just trying to make a joke. And uh, and it just kind of pissed me off. And and we've already talked about how the stunt work in this movie and just the fights in general, yeah, just aren't exciting. So no, it's you know. the uh, it's the I've heard other people refer to it. It's the Roger Moore Karate Chop movie. He just karate chops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably right. Uh, so speaking of Roger Moore, he's back. Uh, this is his seventh and final go round. Um, he announced his retirement about six months after uh, the movie was released uh he was not a fan of this movie he has said it was the worst one that he worked on uh he was more he was uh he found out i don't know if he met her but he found out that tanya roberts mother was younger than him um Mm. and that i think that was kind of a moment where he's and we've talked about the past where he's definitely made comments about he gets uncomfortable with the whole with the age difference sometimes and but I guess, yeah, I mean, if you're like, I'm older than your mom and we're supposed to be like lovers, like that's got to be fucking weird. Uh, and he also didn't like uh, the character of Zoran. He had nothing to do with Christopher Walken. He didn't have a problem with Walken. I yeah. think he liked Walken fine. He just didn't like the way the villain was presented. There's a scene right. in the mind where, and I, I we talked about this, I'm pretty sure when we when we send the video, because there's a scene in the mind where uh, he just starts like mowing people down with a machine This is gun. one of the worst parts of the whole movie, yeah. by the way. The sound is bad. The, yep. Just the actions itself, of yep. course, are bad. Like they just don't, they don't, they're not in lockstep. It's almost like they were saying, well, he's a psychopath. We haven't shown him be a psychopath really yet. Yeah. So let's show him be one here. Uh, in the worst way imaginable, and this is just a loud, unnecessary scene. And I and and I and I was like, I sort of made a mental note of that scene when I watched it. Going, man, this is this is probably the one of the worst action scenes I've seen in a Bond film. 
I was glad to see that that had been brought up in the IMDb trivia that Roger Moore said that, you know, you see him shooting people down in the, you know, in this mine and everything. It just doesn't, doesn't, it's not a Bond film anymore. Yeah, no, it's just super violent. It's weird. I mean, it kind of fits more, I guess, with, with action movies of that time period, but it doesn't, yeah. but it doesn't fit in a Bond movie. Uh, Zorin was um, obviously played by Christopher Walken. Uh, David Bowie was actually announced in 84 when they were talking about the movie. They announced David Bowie was going to be in. I didn't see why he turned it down, but he eventually just said he wasn't going to do it. He he said he, he he said later on that he did not like the script. Um, yeah, uh, I, I just, think he actually I think he actually told the producers to their faces that this script was terrible. Now that you're saying, and then that, he went on to go. Then he went on to do Labyrinth. So that yeah, the, that's what he wanted to do. Any that's what he ended up to do. Yeah, that's instead. right. That was eighty six, right? So that was the next year was Labyrinth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels like it, it almost feels, I mean, I guess we talk about that. We talk about the review, but it kind of, I mean, like I could totally see Bowie playing this role though. Maybe not the gun scene, but like everything else. I mean, and it was a uh, written, I think with the idea that he was going to be like sting. Like, I don't think they ever thought of sting being no, sting the was, person. Sting was the next person they went to. Oh, they went to yeah, Sting. Okay, I didn't down. see if they did or not, but they had sting in mind when they wrote it. And they yeah. also went to Rutger Hauer to play this yeah, and, and that's that another too. one that makes a lot of sense too it does no i mean i mean they clearly had they they had a person in mind like they had a they had a like a blonde <laughs> like, I mean, they, yeah and which yeah. makes sense too because the whole thing is like you know there's this which they don't really the backstory of his character is just kind of washed over real quick but it's essentially like he was like what he's like a he's like a like a test tube baby right like he's like a, or he was a like they pumped these yeah. people with steroids and he was kind of the one that survived he's it's like he's a super the winter soldier, soldier. Yeah, yeah, he's the winter yeah. soldier of the KGB, yeah. Yeah, so I guess they were kind of going for this like blonde, you know, nondescript kind of kind of kind of look, which mm-hmm. is kind of what they did back then, you know, with a lot of those villains. But uh yeah, Sting, I don't know, Sting could have been offered the role before Bowie, especially if they had Sting in mind. I mean, it could have been where I read about it yeah. could have been wrong. But Sting mm-hmm. definitely turned it down and then Rutger Hauer, I don't know if he ever actually got offered it, but he was involved and then Christopher Walken said he would do it. Um, yeah, and then by and and by that, Christopher Walken became the first Oscar winner to be in a Bond film. Yep, that's true. Yeah, or at Deer least Hunter. be a villain. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if I don't know if there was any other Oscar winners who had appeared before, but uh, but he was at least the first villain to show up as I an Oscar winner. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think there was. Uh, yeah, not, I don't think there was anybody film. else. Yeah, yeah, and Connery wouldn't get nominated for another i don't know yeah because we found out that fiddler on the roof guy he didn't actually win that year i thought he had but he did not win (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) uh anyways but yeah so uh we get wait i'm sorry what'd you say about connery i mean i don't think connery had gotten nominated for an oscar until like way later or and he didn't win until the untouchables so so he might have been like man who would be king or something maybe but yeah no you're but he definitely didn't win so and 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 it definitely wasn't in the a bond movie during no. like the time where he had been nominated no. or won no, so. he was only doing bond movies so yeah <laughs> he wouldn't get nominated for those uh yeah but yeah that's right i always forget walking one for uh deer hunter i just don't really ever think about deer hunter though so that's part yeah of, same that's part of the problem um yep. i know a lot of people love that movie congratulations enjoy yeah it. yeah uh, i know a lot of people love it i hate it <laughs> I I wouldn't say hate. I I don't like it very much. I don't know. Yeah, that I, like. I, I don't. I don't think I. I don't think I have the level of appreciation that a lot of people do. For, for sure, it. I think that's what it is. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, 
So yeah, so that was Zorin. Uh, Walken at the time, which I said he was obviously he had done uh, Deer Hunter. I guess that was probably what he was mostly done for. He had he had done that. He was in Natalie uh, Natalie Wood's last movie a couple years prior to this, uh, Brainstorm. Uh, he mm-hmm. was in a really good Sidney Lumet film with uh, Sean Connery in the late 70s called The Anderson Tapes, uh, which is a mm-hmm. really, really fun movie. Uh, had Communion come out by this point? No, Communion doesn't come out till like 89. So okay, it's so a, little a little bit later. later. Yeah, but that was yeah. yeah, that was an interesting movie. Uh, but it, yeah, people knew who Christopher Walken Dead Zone? was. Dead Zone had just yeah, it had come out in eighty three. So Dead Zone was definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. was definitely one of yeah. those. And I think like I don't know if we're really at the point where people are thinking of him as like what he kind of becomes like in movies like Pulp Fiction and True Romance and like on Saturday Night Live and all that kind of stuff. Like he's not really like crazy Christopher Walken. This kind of might have been like the first yeah, role where he's kind of doing that. Kind of. It's kind of interesting to think that, right? I mean, in Annie Hall, he has like a really small that. role where he is basically that Christopher Walken. That's true. Like he is that Christopher Walken, and then he does Deer Hunter, and then he, you know, and he does a lot of little sort of like kind of offbeat roles, and then this is his first like rule. Yeah, it, it, this might be the first one to get him into that that area of where he's going to be cast this way a lot uh after this movie yeah for so, sure i don't know if if anyone listening has not seen annie hall i mean i do recommend you just watch annie hall because it's a great movie but i would at least watch that scene on youtube or something with christopher walken <laughs> it is yeah. one of the best scenes ever in a comedy it is amazing it really is i don't yeah. even know how to discuss it. it you just have to watch it it's just one of those things mm-hmm. but uh yeah yep. so uh the character of stacy sutton it's tanya roberts ends up playing her uh priscilla presley was supposed to play her uh, another uh, huh. another early 80s uh, TV networks not letting people get out of their contract. She was on Dallas at the time, so uh, uh. they wouldn't let her out of her contract uh, just two years after the, or four years, I guess, after the Tom Selleck thing. Um, well, and Pierce Brosnan, I guess, with Bond. Uh, that happens mm-hmm. in a couple years. But uh, so she couldn't get out of a role to play. So uh, they went and got Tanya Roberts. We already made the comment about Roberts was 35 at the time when they filmed it. And, I, and her mother, I know Roger Moore was like 57, I think. And uh, when they filmed it, so uh, he was like 22 mm-hmm. years older than her. And apparently he was at least three or four years older than her mother. So uh, mm-hmm. that was <laughs> uh, Tanya Roberts was kind of big at the time, I would guess. I, 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 I always, I mean, I just think of her as that 70s show because I think that's where. Yeah, same. That's that's probably her best role that I've ever seen. I mean, she's really funny in that 70s show. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was in a bunch of stuff around this time. She was in she was at Charlie's Angel for one season. I think it was season five. Uh, she was also yeah. in Sheena, which if you were a kid, that movie was rated PG. And I can't imagine how many parents were just sitting there with their kids because they're like, hey, we brought it to a PG fantasy adventure film. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of nudity in that movie, uh, even though mm-hmm. it's PG. <laughs> so this was like this yeah, is pre PG thirteen. Ah, it was it was great being a kid back in these days. <laughs> oh man, I just can't imagine. Like I did not. I don't think I saw Sheena. I did not see Sheena in the theater. I didn't see Sheena. Yeah, no, but, uh, I, and and I, I I would imagine that it, it, there may have been more furor if it was a bigger movie yes, or whatever. Yeah, I, do I don't know well. who. I, but I'm just know. I'm just imagining like parents with their kid. Like this would be a fun Saturday <laughs> oh, yeah. afternoon, and it's like they just have to put their hands yeah, over their eyes and shit like that. Uh, yeah. So she was in that. She was also in the Beastmaster. That was I remember that I watched that like on cable. 
uh and stuff apparently that was the one of the that was the big movie that sort of thrust her into this role yes. was Beastmaster. Yeah, Beastmaster was, that's what they had seen her in yeah I, I don't know i don't know Beastmaster. i don't know if it was a huge it wasn't like a box office thing i think it was more just it was just became a popular movie like on cable and video rentals and stuff mm. like that i don't remember i've seen it around that time probably like five or six times but i don't remember anything that happens in it like i couldn't mm. i mean i'd have to watch it again i couldn't tell you a thing that happens in it but i remember kind of enjoying it back mm. then when i was a kid yeah uh, she also sadly passed away just, uh, 2021, just a couple years, uh, a year ago, I guess, uh, she had a, yeah, kind of a, kind of a shocking one. Yeah. I thought like, she, she, I mean, 71, you're getting to that age, but like, didn't feel like that was, uh, you know, any, anytime soon was that was going to yeah, happen. Yeah, exactly. So. And she had a, she had a UTI that, uh, she just didn't realize she had one, I guess. And it, it, it would, by the time she got it checked out, it had actually gone into sepsis. And, uh, I think I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. And, uh. And then, yeah, I think that's right. And then right. eventually, she uh, her organs just started shutting down, and they just they couldn't do anything about it. It's really sad, which is also another thing. Like, if you're ever feeling bad, don't don't be nervous to go to the doctor. Just go to the doctor, like, because mm-hmm. you yeah. never know. Uh, if anything doesn't feel right, check it out. Um, so, anyways, that's sad. Grace Jones, uh, she plays Mayday. Uh, she is like the the odd job or the 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 Barbara Carrera of this of <laughs> yep. this movie. Uh, she's Zorin's lover. I. Yes, although that that scene where they kind of start making out is really uncomfortable, but because uh, it looks like yeah, she doesn't and, and want think, him to do what he's doing, but I don't know. I think, yeah, I think they, I think it's very literal what they show because yeah. she's training him in combat, mm-hmm. and they're I think they're really trying to say they're in a combative relationship. Yeah. Womp womp is basically what they're saying. And then by the end of it, when he pins her down and wants to make out with her, she's resisting, mm-hmm. but it's that's their shtick gotcha. is what I'm getting. Yeah, probably. That's what I get at, even though that's not like, you know, anything. That's not healthy, but, you know, that's the uh, those are that's a, that's a villainous yeah. way, right? That's a villainous and way then, to like, have a relationship. later, he's like, yeah, go so. sleep with Bond. Keep him occupied. <laughs> right, right. No problem uh, she with was that. A, yeah. She was pretty famous for being a model and a singer. She's a very famous singer. Uh, I actually saw she was on a... She did. I think it was mostly during the disco era. She's got a lot of disco hits and stuff. But she, um, there was like a Rolling Stone or something uh, list one like in the '90s or something or 2000s. It was like the hundred top female artists, and she was on that list. So uh, I can't say that I've listened to a mm-hmm. lot of her stuff or anything. There probably is some stuff I've heard, just didn't know it. I get the sense that somebody like Grace Jones has like a has like a like a dual uh, like. On one end, she's probably mm-hmm. very hard to work with because she's so like eccentric or whatever. But I bet there's a that other side is just so oh, yeah, wonderful she's... to be around all the time because to be around somebody who's got that kind of energy, there's something, uh, there's something very intoxicating about that. And, just... and uh, yeah, yeah, absolute confidence. This is the thing. I, I think that's the. I think you nailed it there. Um, there was a side story I read in the IMDb trivia that said when she was doing her, uh, ADR work, something on her was like rattling around or something like that. And so instead of just like, I think she just took off her clothes and did it naked apparently (laughs) and did did the ADR, you know, in, in, in just naked. And I'm like, there you go. That's, that's Grace Jones. And apparently yeah, it was, it was like a, it was like kind of like, I guess it was kind of hard to get her on set at on time, but because she wasn't, she didn't like like, I don't mean this pervy at all. I can't imagine she was shy about her body though. That is like the most perfectly toned, like physical specimen 
I think I've ever oh, seen. Oh yeah, it's time. incredible. And like, mm-hmm. I don't even know, like, mm-hmm. yep. I don't even know what you have to do exercise wise to to get to that play. I mean, I'm never gonna find out. So I. <laughs> It's probably whatever The Rock says when he's in the shower in Central Intelligence where he's probably. like, you know, like probably. I woke up at 530 in the morning every day and, you know, and did this for six hours every day with no with no break, you know, basically. There was this like, it was, this is kind of a side, but it was uh, the, uh, oh, Graham Norton. Um, I watched like a clip of like, uh, you know, he always has like mm-hmm. a bunch of random people on the couch and like uh chris hemsworth was there mm-hmm. i think they just filmed thor i think thor had just come out and then kirsten dunst was there for something I, I don't remember what she was doing but um they showed a picture there's this like and it's a pretty famous picture especially at the time of chris hemsworth like in the water and like you just see from like mm-hmm. it's just like he's just ridiculous looking and uh kirsten dunst is just kind of like that just looks like a lot of diet and exercise that looks terrible yeah. like i mean she's like i wouldn't <laughs> exactly. want to you know, not that he looked terrible but just that you know yeah. Cause she, and she and I'm sure she knows all about it mm-hmm. because she has to get in shape for roles and all that stuff. I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. But uh, but Grace Jones, uh, she was in some other stuff around that time. Uh, Conan the Destroyer uh, had just been released, I think, a year before that, which is not very good, but she's fine in it. Uh, Vamp, which I actually just watched for the first time like about a year ago. It's a like a 1986 horror comedy where she plays like this vampire at a strip club that these boys meet. And, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's okay. Uh, she's very good in it. Um, and then, but I remember her from Boomerang. That's that's is she, my is biggest. Is it Strong J? I forgot to write it down, but I think that's right. Uh, She's got this like yeah, crazy. Strong J. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she and, like she like takes her. There's that scene where she she's at the the they're they're trying to come up with a new scent, a new cologne at this like company, and they're at the board meeting, and she's like the one whose name is on the cologne or whatever or the perfume. And she like takes her underwear off and like throws it on the table or something. She's like, <laughs> yeah, I want it to smell yes. like this or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's that's so pretty good. much what it is. It's not that's even the, that great of a the, movie, I mean, but... that's the I know, that's the one thing I remember from Boomerang is that scene. Yeah. yeah Eartha Kid, I remember Eartha Kid in it too. But yeah, no, it's like I don't remember much at all about Eddie Murphy, which he's like the main person mm-hmm. in the movie. There's a couple, there's a couple, I guess there's a couple other things I remember about that movie, but yeah, yeah, that's one of the biggest ones. Uh, So she was in this, uh, Patrick McNee, who I'm a fan of. I mean, I haven't seen like a ton of his stuff, but I was rewatching the howling recently because I got that 4k Mm -hmm. and uh, he's like the, he's like the head of the, the comp, the, the compound or whatever. He's like the psychiatrist that's like treating all these people. Uh, but he also was in the Avengers, the original, the TV show, the Avengers. Yeah. Uh, he actually might have been John Steed. I didn't even look that up. He was John Steed. Yeah. Yeah. So the one that Ray mm-hmm. Fiennes played in that terrible movie. Um, but, uh, he was the fourth, uh, the first, first male, but the fourth, uh, actor that was on the original Avengers to be in a Bond film. Honor Blackman, Diane Rigg and Diana Rigg and Joanna Lumley were the other three. Which we talked mm-hmm. about uh, when we talked about them and their films. Um, yeah, and it's funny. I, I saw him recently in a terrible horror movie called Sweet Sixteen. Oh, he is in that. That's um, right. Yeah, we were talking yeah, about that. Yeah, um, and it was just so. It was like, how did how did John McNee get into this? Patrick <laughs> McNee get into this? The uh, the 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 uh, the fun thing for me, and this, I was, I you know, I've been watching these behind the scenes yeah. uh, after every one of these movies and patrick mcnee is the narrator on all of them until this one and i was like sitting there like how is he going to introduce himself on this and they just got somebody else to do it so i was like okay he plays uh he he's the name i easily remember because roger moore just keeps saying tibbet tibbet 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sir Godfrey Tebbit. What's weird about this character, and maybe I missed something, but what's really weird about this character is I always think he's like an agent, but he's not. Mm-hmm. He's a horse trainer, but yeah. he goes undercover with Roger Moore. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, why isn't he playing the horse trainer? Like, it once just, again, none of that makes once sense again, to me. Once again, Bond dragging people into his <laughs> yeah. dirty world and killing killed. them. They get fucking yeah, killed. I always, they always get killed. They always do. <laughs> like, you know, like, like if you're like, you know, you go to a, you know, like, if you, if he meet, if he meets with anybody other than Felix Leiter in these movies, <laughs> they always die. Like the, the, uh, the guy, uh, played by, uh, uh, David Yep, who plays Chuck Lee in the movie. Yeah. That was supposed He's, to be Felix Leiter, by the way. I don't know if you yeah, knew that. So supposed to be it, it, it was supposed to be felix Leiter, but because it wasn't they killed his ass <laughs> oh man poor, poor chuck lee uh he, that is not a very well written character at all but it basically since they were in san francisco they felt like they should have an asian american like yeah, uh, yeah. but uh I, I hate that scene so much too because like he just asked like the the code word is like i'd like some like like crab, like broiled crab or something, or crab legs. It's a soft shell crab. Soft shell crab. But it's like in a seafood place. It's like no one else asks for that all day. Like, aren't you? I mean, yeah. you think you'd do something a little more obscure than that. I, I don't I know. I don't know. Anyway, I, I don't know if it's about seafood to understand that's, that's if that's true. an obscure I guess I don't thing either. or not. So, but uh, yeah, so we'll talk. Yeah, David Yip uh, uh, plays uh, plays Chuck Lee. That was supposed to be uh, Felix Leiter. Uh, he's not in it very much. Just an under, he's just a CIA agent in San Francisco. Yeah. That's working with Bond. Uh, he also played Wuhan in uh, Temple of Doom. Uh, oh so, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was the only other thing I I had seen him in. I think he I think he might have been mm-hmm. in some TV, but like he he didn't do a lot of he didn't have a lot of roles. Uh, we have returning people. Uh, Robert Brown is back uh, for his I think second no third appearances in maybe I can't remember if it's been two or three. Uh, Desmond Llewellyn is back as Q, of course. Walter Gotell uh, is back as General Gogol, the uh, the, yeah. the the K, the head of the KJB. He's KG, KJB. I thought that KGB. was. Uh, he's been in it. I'm sorry. No, the, yeah, he's back as the KGB guy or the or whatever. But like, um, I thought that was an interesting thing. I did not notice this in my first run through of all these Bond films. Yeah. And like I said, I think when I ran through them the first time. I was watching them in such an erratic times that I may have just missed out on this continuity. But he's on; he's in almost every one of these. Yeah, he's he, uh, from Spy Who yes. Loved Me. On that's what I was, yeah, that's what so, I was going to say. Yeah, Spy Who Loved Me was yeah. his first, and then he. But he's mm-hmm. I think he's in Living Daylights too. I believe I don't know if he's in License to Kill, but I think he's. In, I'm pretty sure he's in Living Daylights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Jeffrey Keane is back as the British Minister of Defense, which is almost becoming a more worthless character than Felix Leiter for me. I don't even. Yeah. I don't, I, it's just weird. I mean, I, good for that guy getting paid, but I just. I kind of wonder if nothing. they just felt like. I can wonder if they just felt like the the M character wasn't strong enough. Like I don't know. Like maybe Robert Brown, they didn't think he maybe, was strong uh, enough or something. Never and gave then they him a like, ton we need to, to do, have, but yeah. we need to make sure that he's in the have his defense minister right next to him as well, so that Bond knows that they mean business. I don't know. And I'm a little sad because this is our last Lewis Maxwell as Money Penny. Um, mm-hmm. She is the only actor that has been in it since Doctor No. She's the only. It's just her, and it's actually, and it's like uh, she said. Broccoli came up to her one day and said, "Do you realize mm-hmm. we are the only two people that have been involved with this since Doctor No?" Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I get the impression she left on her own. I, I didn't. I didn't read any like crazy story that like you know they fired her or something like that. I think she just because she, she wanted them to kill her. Yeah, um, and uh, they didn't want to do that, so they just recast her. 
uh, mm-hmm. uh, moving forward. But you know, I mean, she was getting a little she because she was uh, she passed away in two thousand four, so she was. I think I think that's right. So she was. Maybe I wrote that down. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I killed her off three years early. She died <laughs> in two thousand seven. So she's alive for another twenty two years after this. So mm-hmm. and she still acts in some other things after this. But I don't know. Maybe she just yeah. didn't want to do it anymore. Um. Yeah, so uh, I will name a few other ones because they're kind of interesting. Uh, Willoughby Gray plays Dr. Carl Mortner slash Hans Glob. He's the uh, scientist. Well, he's I, I guess he is still a scientist, but uh, he's also like Zoran's like, I don't know, did he kind of, like, I guess he was the one that gave Zoran the steroids. Yeah. I still don't really completely understand that background. I, the, the, that's the weird thing about, and we'll get into the plot of this yeah, movie, yeah. but it, that's the probably the weirdest part of this movie. Oh, it is. It probably. absolutely is. And it's not even something, like, I know as a kid, I never caught that. Like, that was something I caught. You know, it's just, it's so weird. It's glossed over. And and then they make yeah. they make jokes. They kind of make, like, Bond calls him, like, a steroid baby or something. I can't remember. They make comments about it, you know, yeah. later in the movie. But anyways, uh, he's, uh, but he's, He's kind. Of, I guess he's like he's kind of he's Zoran's kind of mentor handler. I don't know what you want to call it. He kind of uh, has his connection to the KGB that he doesn't want to work. And Zoran doesn't want to have anything to do with the KGB anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. Gray. Uh, I think I know him mostly. He played the King and the Princess Bride. Um, he of course also was Canis in the classic film Solar Babies. So you know every, yes. everybody knows yes. about Solar Babies. So mm-hmm. that's correct. More people know about Solar Babies than Duran Duran. I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. Uh, if you guys don't so. know what Solar Babies is, it is a science fiction movie, kind of, about a group of people that are, uh, they skate. They roller skate, and they save the planet. And I don't know how. Mm-hmm. That's really what happened. It's weird. Uh, it, yeah, there were a million imitators after. Yeah, tons. <laughs> <laughs> Prayer for the roller boys. Um, yes. Allison Duty, I always forget she's yeah. in this movie. Uh, she plays Ginny mm-hmm. Flex. Of course you are. Um, and... Yeah. Uh, I just never remember that she's in this. And she looks so different than she does because she's in Last Crusade. She does. She's in, she plays, I guess, technically, both Indiana Jones and his dad's lover in Last Crusade. Yeah, she plays Elsa. Mm-hmm. Elsa, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she doesn't have a, like a, I don't think she has like a ton of credits, but at least she, not a No, I mean, but anyways, not really. She, yeah. She's uh, she's in this. Uh, and I, I get the impression like her and Mayday are kind of tight. Uh, that was, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so anyway, she's in this. That's kind of fun. Uh, we already mentioned Fiona Fullerton. She plays Pola Ivanova. Uh, Dolph Lundgren makes a blink and you'll miss him cameo. He was uh, yep. he, he was Grace Jones' uh, bodyguard slash boyfriend uh, at the time, and I guess they just were like, "Yeah, this guy looks cool. Let's put him in a let's put him in a uniform well, he and make him a KGB apparently, guy." Apparently, on set when the uh, General Gogol scene shows up. Uh, it, when he shows up to uh, talk mm-hmm. to Christopher Walken and tell him you never leave the KGB, yeah, um, he was on the set at that moment, and they he need they needed one other mm-hmm. guy to be on there, and they saw Dolph Lundgren. And of course, they're like, "Hey, have you ever acted before?" And then they just threw him in there. Yeah, it's so. kind of, and he's like, he's just. I mean, you see him for quite a bit long. Like he's in that almost that entire scene. I mean, he's just in the background. Mm-hmm. Right? He's just standing down to the side of the of the camera and he didn't say anything i I don't know he doesn't say anything and i have a hard time talking about this scene jonathan because we're best friends with Dolph Lundgren. that's true we have talked to Dolph um, Lundgren. 
That was yeah, that's right. We that's we amazing. we've talked we we've talked to him and we've we've hung out with him on a Zoom call. <laughs> yes. And uh, you know, and I feel like I'm a little bit too close to the situation to talk about his cameo <laughs> in a view to kill. We have audio of him saying, "I will." I will crush you or whatever. I will. I know. Uh, I will break you. I will it's break amazing. You. Yeah, it was amazing. We did not ask mm. him to say that. He said it on his own. It was. It was. Yeah. Like that's one yeah. thing. Like I always think people probably get irritated if you ask them to say a line, you know. But mm-hmm. he just said it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's cool. Well, and thanks to you bringing up the whole thing about the Rocky Four. Yeah, because we, like, we uh, interviewed him for a different movie. I don't remember. I, I feel bad. I don't remember the name of the movie, but it was a movie he directed with Scott Atkins. And uh, but the Rocky Four mm-hmm. directors kind of just come out. Uh, mm-hmm. So we were talking to him about that, from what I remember. That was fun. Yeah, and his yeah. daughter was yeah, there. Was awesome. and that was fun. But um, I was going to say, it kind of reminds me. I was just reminded of this the other day, like in the verdict uh, with Paul Newman. Mm-hmm. There's like the last like 20 minutes or whatever when he's given a speech and all that stuff. Like right behind him is Bruce Willis. <laughs> yes, <laughs> sitting yep. there. It's mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. weird. Yeah, and that meant nothing yeah. to anybody in 1982. But man, like 10 years later. You're like holy shit that's bruce willis that was this is completely has nothing to do with anything that we're fucking talking about but this reminds me of there was a trivia night you 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 were at some of yeah, our trivia yeah, nights yeah. right where it was like the, they had the countdown yeah. uh the step it down challenge or whatever one of them at the 15 point clues like this actor was in the verdict <laughs> and he was in nobody's fool and he was in some other movie i can't remember and i was like oh it's fucking paul newman let's do it and let's send it off and uh and uh i didn't know about the i didn't know about the third one so i was but i was like usually you just you know yeah. a couple and it's like you just zoom it up there and then the sec the t- the 10 point clue was like all these bruce willis movies like, i was like oh scout. motherfucker where was he in the verdict <laughs> but yeah that's he's just sitting in the background he he i, I actually i listened to a podcast people talk about paul newman movies the other day that's why i heard about that that's why i was reminded of that but um mm-hmm. i also didn't know that he apparently didn't even read the script for nobody's fool he just knew that paul newman was in it so i'll do that you know he didn't care mm-hmm. i thought that was pretty cool yeah uh especially when you hear a lot of stories about him being a little hot-headed and stuff like that it's nice to hear stuff like that yeah so yeah so the only other thing i had because you can't actually really see her i might have even brought this up and we talked about Maude adams in one of our other couple episodes we we're talking about the movies that she was in but there's like supposedly she she's she has a cameo like she was in the fisherman wharf scene like she's just an extra mm-hmm. in the background yeah you can't i can't find her and a lot of people think maybe that whatever that shot was just got edited uh but yeah. if she is in it uh this is her third appearance yeah there that that was a funny thing like in the behind the scenes Maude adams shows up to talk about how she might be yeah. in this movie but she was never well, even able to confirm it. it yes and then um and then in the imdb there are two or three different interpretations of who it could be in there but nobody's got like yeah. real solid evidence that it's her so that that's one of those things that it's like it kind of sucks because you wish that somebody would have zaprudered this thing enough to just know where Especially she now, is but yeah. no one has ever been able to do it or people yeah. just don't care because nobody watches this movie anymore yeah that's true <laughs> but that's, that's true. like uh in halloween 2 the original halloween 2 which is a weird thing to have to say uh you know dana mm-hmm. carby's it has like a like a one scene in that movie and like Oh yeah, he's that's a, right. He's a cameraman for the news reporter outside of the Myers house. <laughs> yeah. But like, I knew like people said that he was in that movie forever. But then when I would ever watch the movie, I would just forget. And so like, I didn't know until we mm-hmm. send it. I didn't know who he was in the movie. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, fuck, that's Dana Carvey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, now I know he's in. Now I know where mm-hmm. he is. 
Yeah. It's crazy. So crazy. Uh, so, yeah. So that's kind of what that's the cast. Uh, music, we made some talks about Duran Duran, that the very, uh, you know, nobody knows who that band is. But uh, that's right. Uh, John Barry is back composing the score. Uh, this is not the last. He'll We'll actually be talking about him again next week. Uh, the theme song, which is called A View to a Kill, it was written by Barry and Duran Duran. Uh, Duran Duran also obviously performs the song. Uh, this was the first Bond song to reach number one on the U.S. charts, mm. uh, on the Billboard charts. Insane. It was number two on the U.K. charts. It was the highest rank. It was the highest ranking Bond film on the U.K. charts until that Sam Smith song for Spectre was. I guess people just love Sam Smith and in the UK. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I didn't look. I should have looked up. I don't know why I didn't to see if there have been other Bond songs after A View to a Kill. I maybe I don't know if Skyfall maybe. I don't know if there's ever been another one to hit number 1, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah, and I doubt I don't I mean even though Tina Turner yeah. did Goldeneye, I doubt that I would hit number so. 1 and and even I mean you there might be some I doubt Madonna song did not. even though I wouldn't be shocked <laughs> no, I wouldn't, wouldn't be shocked Madonna. if it did like oh it's because it's Madonna yeah, you know it, but um I don't think so like the you gotta think about like maybe Billie yeah. Eilish or somebody that's like that may Adele, have one that's, that maybe that one um yeah but like and I don't and obviously like I'm saying number one is the first to reach number one many Bond songs prior to this were on the charts I mean Live and Let Die obviously was on the charts yeah. like that it's crazy to think though like Live and Let Die wasn't but I think Live and Let Die became more famous later I you know Guns and Roses covers yeah. it and then Paul McCartney think just so. becomes more of a legend and all that kind of stuff but anyways yeah so uh, View to a Kill uh, from View to a Kill which and it's it's like it's so 80s like it's just I mean I'm not shocked that mm -hmm. it, it got to number whether you like it or not I'm not shocked that it hit number one. Oh yeah all those yeah all that stuff yeah like a phoenix mm -hmm. to a flame uh <laughs> Google Hangouts is like reducing <laughs> noise uh you're too loud, Chris. Duran Duran. They got involved after the, reportedly the bassist, John Taylor, who was a huge Bond fan, was at a party that Albert Broccoli was at. And he asked Albert Broccoli, when are you going to get someone decent to do one of your theme songs? He does say after that he was yeah, very drunk we, when he asked that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was very drunk, but he was also very, very <laughs> right because of what had happened in the last couple of... Uh, the last few, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think he probably feels bad when he's like, oh, wait, Paul McCartney did one. God yeah, damn. yeah, yeah, like, yeah. But I like, think he's... He probably felt terrible I think that. he's talking about the last couple that had come out. I don't I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's talking about all of them. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I But uh, but it's funny. He might have just been being a little, like, cheeky, mm -hmm. too. You know, he might have just been kind of being silly. But, uh, but yeah, so they got, they got to do the song after that. Uh, the Beach Boys, California Girls, we already mentioned, that plays at the beginning. It's not the Beach Boys. I did not know that. I just always assumed it was the Beach Boys, but it's actually a tribute band called uh, Gildea Park. Huh. Uh, that that's performing it. Maybe that made me they had to they paid less for it. Which is weird because the subtitles say it's Beach Boys, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's I know mm -hmm. everything I, I read. I read it. Yeah, it was this band. It was a tribute band, which I'm not surprised the guy sounds like him. Because they yeah. sound like him because a lot of times tribute bands do sound mm -hmm. a lot alike. It's you know I watched Rockstar. I know how right, it works, right, yeah. So exactly because that's an accurate, accurate. Absolutely, Mark Wahlberg and get Jennifer hired. Aniston. You know. <laughs> I was going to try to say uh, something no clever there and it just didn't work <laughs> at all. I totally forgot Jennifer Aniston mm -hmm. in that movie. Poor Jennifer Aniston. Mm -hmm. Uh actually I that movie like I don't hate that movie. I don't know that I like it, but like I've watched it yeah, weirdly it like right. five or six times. 
it's just it's just I don't know Mark Wahlberg I it's hard to take him seriously sometimes and that's that's definitely a movie where I have an issue yeah uh, <laughs> um, on its opening weekend it had the biggest opening for a Bond film it made 13.3 million over it was Memorial Day weekend mm-hmm. uh, it, but it still only finished second that weekend because Rambo First Blood Part 2 which was the number two <laughs> movie of the year behind Back to the Future uh, guy it's crazy how big the, that Rambo movie was I and I didn't yeah. see that forever because I think that was one where my mom was like, yeah, we're not watching that because she knew that would be insanely mm-hmm. violent. Um, but it wasn't the most violent because that's the most that's the most parodied Rambo too. like it's in it's in Hot Shots and it's yeah. in UHF. <laughs> oh, that's and, right. Uh, yeah. Critical response yeah. was very mixed. Uh, it, as of to like not today, I looked it up. It's at 37 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the thing I was reading said 38% from a few years ago, so I guess it, it hasn't fallen that far. Uh, audience score, too, is only at 40%, so uh, whoever's rating mm-hmm. stuff on Rotten Tomatoes doesn't really like it either, uh, which I was a yeah. little surprised by because I I do know people. I've talked to people that really enjoy this movie, so I thought it would be a little higher than mm. that. But anyways, uh, most of the criticism... It has moments. It has moments. It no, it does. It's not. It's not. It's not like the worst thing ever mm-hmm. by any means. But uh, most of the criticism, which is really shitty, was focused on Roger Moore's age. Uh, mm-hmm. He was fifty-seven at the time of filming. Paul Adonazio of the Washington Post compared watching Roger Moore in this film to watching women fall all over Gabby Hayes. Gabby Hayes is one of those people that like you don't know who it is, but you're gonna Google that person and you're gonna be like, oh yeah, he's like always like the old guy in the westerns that's got like the long beard and like goofy teeth and he's got a hat on Mm -hmm. he's just he's a drunk or he's like the town like crazy Mm -hmm. uh it was i don't know it was really mean i don't know why that guy he's funny i I didn't ever thought paul adonazio is a screenwriter too i think he did quiz show um uh, oh wait that's right and he and maybe donnie brasco one of the he's done a bunch no you're right he's definitely he's definitely written movies after this but uh which is interesting you say that about writers because neil gaiman for some reason wrote a review of this oh really for yeah for imagine magazine and he said when grace jones went to bed with more i was sure the producers had hit on a way to kill the old fellow with dignity It's like I love you, Neil Gaiman. Uh, yeah, uh, Paul Adonagio did do Quiz Quiz Show, Donnie Brasco. He well, also did uh, some Michael Crichton stuff, like Disclosure <laughs> and Sphere. So, hey, I mean, I don't know what his. I mean, I don't know what Redford changed or if anything, but I mean, Quiz Show is amazing. So, and he still to Donnie Brasco is amazing, huh? Still to this day is writing a bunch of stuff. So right. you know, but uh, he was a he was a dick to Roger Moore for no reason. Yeah, he was. And and addicted to Gabby Hayes. Gabby Hayes mm-hmm. wasn't doing anything. He was just no. chilling in his he's chilling in his grave. That's right. Uh anyways. Uh we've talked about these IGN Entertainment Weekly rankings before. Uh and usually it's kind of crazy, but they were they were pretty down on this. The uh it was the fifth worst Bond film on EW's list. I think this is the one from 2006. So I think there's mm. like 25 movies at this time. And then mm-hmm. IGN picked it as the fourth worst. So uh mm. Tanya Robert another talk about another shitty fucking organization tanya roberts was nominated for a golden raspberry award right and uh, the worst actress category she lost to linda blair because linda blair apparently had three like really bad films that year that she Is this was, a, like, so she, was like, repossessed linda... this year no repossessed i think was like a couple years later but okay. uh but it was like it was stuff i hadn't seen but like one of them was savage streets like i've seen the cover of that she's like mm. got like a gun and she's like dressed up like a hooker or something mm-hmm. yeah and um 
I don't remember what the other two were. I didn't write them down. But uh, but yeah, she so she she won for like those three movies. So Tanya Roberts didn't win. And like Tanya Roberts, like I mean, she's not particularly good in this, but I don't think that has anything to do with her. Like, I just, <laughs> it's like it's what we keep saying about a lot of these, yeah. right? Where it, that you have dudes in a dude world writing for dudes, and then they try to put yeah. women in, and and they're supposed to be objects of desire and things like that course they don't have any characters a lot of times and then you have to get somebody like grace jones who comes in and like apparently does way more than what's on the page to yeah. stand out a lot of times yeah. so or barbara carrera you know yeah, which exactly. we talked about last week um no absolutely and i mean and that actually grace jones i mean not intentionally but grace jones being in this movie and not that we should just compare women but Grace Jones being in this movie, and I would even argue the actress that's in the one scene in the jacuzzi, the Tchaikovsky, like they just, I don't know, they get like more fun stuff to say, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but like that kind of doesn't reflect well as well on the Tanya Roberts character either. But no, nobody would have taken that Tanya Roberts character and done anything else with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't Priscilla think so. Presley isn't making that all of a sudden an amazing role. No, it's a shitty, no. It's a shitty written role. It's basically like the Barbara Bach character or something like that. But, you know, she's not like an agent, you know, but she's still like, you know, she's uh, she wants revenge or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that kind of that kind of bullshit. Um, Yeah. So that's all I really had, like on the behind the scenes is if you're you ready to move on to the review, even though we've kind of already reviewed it. But I think I I think so. I don't think there's anything else uh, in the behind the scenes at all that I can remember. So, Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Our next uh, segment is called Review to a Kill. I've got you in my sights. Get the fuck out of my sight before I demolish you. What we've got here is failure to communicate. There's no need to shout. I'm not shouting. Why don't you stop your whining and get on with it? I've heard this shit before. We are going to give you our thoughts on whatever film we are discussing this week. This week we are discussing A View to a Kill. Real quick, I will give you a little plot synopsis. The recovery of a microchip off the body of a fellow agent leads James Bond to a mad industrialist who plans to create a worldwide microchip monopoly by destroying California's Silicon Valley. And that's is that is that an IMDb synopsis? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I always enjoy reading those because I think they're fun, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Because they, they, they try to condense some <laughs> insanity into one paragraph a lot of times. <laughs> and, and I mean uh, that is pretty much what it's about. But like the way it goes about telling that story is a whole different thing. <laughs> I yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. What are your overall thoughts? Oh, let's get that. Um, so uh, I don't. I, I'm a big story person. Like the if yeah. if the story is good, I can pretty much tolerate anything else after that. It is such a weird one for me that they 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 learn about some goings on and they're like okay we need to investigate this zoran guy and he's really he's been really hard to figure out i don't know how he's been hard to figure out but anyway they they go to a horse race and that's where they're like oh there must be something going on with these horses and then you find out that they've been implanting microchips into the horse and at the just the right moment, they can just hide this little thing in a cane or a whip or something like that, and it injects steroids into the horse so that they'll be faster by the end of it. And I'm yeah. like, how do you get past any kind of drug board on this type of thing? Like, it's not like it's not like they don't test the horses after the race. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like they're gonna in, they're gonna test the horse and not find steroids after you've injected it with steroids. So yeah, especially anyway. it'd be. I guess it would be the same. I'm just 
just to chime in on what you're saying, I guess it would be the same at every race where like the horse would be kind of towards the back and then all of a sudden it would just shoot up to the front. I mean, that would not go unnoticed. Yeah. And and I remember, I don't even know anything about horses, but I, I remember, I, I just, I remember a Kentucky Derby a while back. It was only mm-hmm. a couple years ago where Bob Baffert won yet again. And I don't know what mm-hmm. happened in the rest of the story. Maybe he got, uh, exonerated on this or whatever mm-hmm. i don't think he i don't know what i don't know how that case ended up but his horse won yet again and i was like jesus man you see this enough you start thinking maybe there's something going on and sure enough like two days later he had <laughs> there was all sorts of like you know stories about maybe doping the horses and so mm-hmm. on and so forth so going back to what you're saying if this keeps happening people are gonna think that there's definitely something going on i don't know how you how you get Maybe they explain that somewhere in the movie that the steroids don't show up in the system or something. Yeah, I, maybe. I don't know. I miss but, it if they did. But it's that's that's not even really his. I mean, I guess that's how he gets a bunch of businessmen on board to pay a hundred million dollars each. Oh my god! To uh, flood Silicon Valley. <laughs> that scene. And and yeah, that scene is very reminiscent of Goldfinger, where like uh, you know Goldfinger goes in and tells all the has all the weird like moving parts while everybody's like, hey, hey, (laughs) hey, Um, Joey Bag of Donuts over here, hey, right, right, yeah, exactly. Um, And you know, of course, you always have the one guy who's like, I'm not going to be a part of this, and you're like, oh, that's totally fine, and you just kill him afterwards. but, when he had uh, just admitted he was going to murder people. Like, that's what that, that's what's crazy about that scene, because I, I kind of yeah. want to stay on this scene for a second, because he basically said, I'm going to destroy Silicon Valley. I mean, I guess maybe he could have been, they could have been thinking, well, maybe he's going to do it after everybody goes home. I don't I don't know, but, like, it's weird. And then that guy's so casual about it. Like, ah, I just don't really want to do this. I don't want to give you my money. And then he's just like, he's like, well, can you go outside then? And he's like, yeah, if you want me to, that's cool. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, there's like, probably not. How are you there's... not scared to death that you might yeah, get killed? Yeah, there's probably not anything that's going to kill me after this. There's probably not <laughs> a, a stairway that'll turn into a slide that'll make me fall out of the blimp. Uh. Um, uh, but... Uh, so yeah, he wants a hundred million dollars from all these people, and I and I guess uh, combined with all the people that are in that room, he's already got a billion dollars, and then he's going to corner the microchip market by flooding Silicon Valley. He's he's been hoarding microchips. That's how that's what Bond stumbles on by looking going to a horse race, saying, "Oh, that horse must be doing something weird." Then they go out to this compound where like there's a horse hotel that they go to and like uh that's where they find that's where they find out about the microchips and the steroids and everything but that's not even really the that's not even really the i mean i guess like i said i guess that's how you get a bunch of businessmen interested you start doing like you know you get horses and you here you put this microchip in your horse wins and then you can put those horses out to stud and make even more money and so on and so forth i guess that's i guess that's what this is very loosely connected though to what he's actually doing in the rest of the movie that's what's so weird about it why why is mi6 asked to investigate illegal doping of horses like maybe that is something they would be has to do but it was just weird like i don't yeah how does that fall i don't know there's some discussion i think when with m and the minister of defense that somehow ties england into this yeah uh somehow and i don't remember it i can't tell you for a fact that i heard anything it just felt i think it i think that's what there's a loose connection they don't know that zorin is op- is doing a lot of stuff here in San Francisco. They just know that it's something 
very tangentially related yeah. to what's going on out here in England. And I guess the horse races, where was the horse race? Was that in England? I don't even know. Um, yeah, they're, I mean, they're but, at his, uh, they're at his compound or whatever. So yeah, I don't oh, know. Oh, the, anyway, horse race, the horse race at the beginning, I guess that was in England. I actually, I think so. Cause money penny was there and yeah, cause she has, I a don't know. I think that's what it is. Apparently. I think that's their very loose way of getting bond yeah. into this is they go, well, this is technically happening on in the UK. So we will look into it. But, uh, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, on top of the story, it's now, I appreciate the insanity of this story. I very much appreciate that. I really think that's an awesome thing to do. Blow up San Andreas fault and cause two earthquakes and make and flood the Silicon Valley. That's a very classic bond villain type of thing yeah. to do. That Halley's so comet thing very, doesn't sound much crazier than that is the funny thing. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't like you should, if you were, if you had the choice between Halley's comet and this, uh, I don't know. You, you you would you if you're comparing both of them, like, well, the Halley's Comet one is only slightly more insane <laughs> than this. So I guess we'll go with the other one. Um, but uh, so so yeah, I can appreciate that. Um, I can appreciate the uh, the insanity of the Christopher Walken performance, who's clearly he's having fun doing what he's doing in this. Um, but I don't like any of the action in this movie. No. I don't like any of the, um, the, like I said, the sound in this movie sounds awful to me. The, the, just, just, just general sounds, the gunfire that we talked about with Christopher Walken blowing away all those people who are going to die anyway. Um, you know, that, that <laughs> sound, that, that sound was like just wrecked my ears. Um, uh, but, uh, and then, you know, then, yeah, like, <sighs> Yeah, I just I didn't I didn't overall like this at all. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm with most of the people I think. By, on yeah. This one. By the way, when you were talking about that one actor, I forgot. I can't believe I forgot. I guess I just overlooked him in my list. But Patrick uh, Bachchow plays uh, Scarpine, which is uh, Zoran's like other hench person. Uh, yeah, he's. I just thought of it because he's down there when he's shooting everybody and stuff. Well, and I was trying to think of how to talk about this because there's in San Francisco. There's a there's a uh, one of the parts of the plot is that the government is giving Zorin, uh, you know, a lot of leeway with his oil wells mm-hmm. and uh, and and causing these things that are registering like 2.5 on the Richter scale when he's when he's blowing water out he's blowing water down in to the ground using his oil wells or something like that so the government's kind of corrupt on this but the guy playing the head of that department is Daniel Benzali oh that's right yeah who was um uh I, I, it's hard to it's like hard to um uh no like know who that is at first but he was in murder one yeah, which that's was a, where I sort of a short-lived short-lived show i don't know if they were if it was supposed to be a limited series or or what but it was well received well received sh- uh show and he was well received and he's like he's one of these real hard-ass kind of guys so when you see him in this wimpy role in view to a kill I was, it took me a second to figure out that that's who that was uh but yeah there's that 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 that's whole scene that whole thing ends up uh with bond and uh tanya roberts in in an elevator shaft that's burning mm-hmm. and he's they're trying to burn down the building and again I, I, it's a normal thing to in Bond movies. We we understand this, where Bond, uh, the villain doesn't want to just straight up kill Bond, doesn't want to shoot him. It's not good enough for them. I think on the fourteenth one of these, <laughs> it's it, 
it's it's it, at this point it's just it's just nauseating to it watch is. these villains do this we're gonna put you in a burning building we know your reputation at this point you've survived this 13 other times mm-hmm. we're gonna i'm gonna be the one that burns you in an elevator shaft and i i'll never because because it, it when bond shows up to the mines later walking is like Oh, it's Bond. He knows immediately yeah. that Bond is there. So he knows that he, Bond could have easily escaped that. Okay. Anyway, so I'm just, it's just another one of no, those where is. I'm like, and I don't like the fire truck thing at all. I think that there, of all the things, this is another one where Bond is kind of unlikable. This is a building that's on fire mm-hmm. and he is stealing a fire truck in the middle of a fire <laughs> that it has not been put out yet just so that he can save his own ass and he could easily just be arrested and then like tell them, hey, I'm British Secret Service and prove it and then and go about his merry way. I guess there's I guess there's a time element involved he doesn't want it but i found i found it it's extremely unlikable stuff like this and when he's chasing after grace jones and the car and the car Mm. keeps breaking in half and everything he he nearly kills a million people going after her and he doesn't even know like like yeah she's killed somebody but like is that worth like going down like is that worth nearly killing everybody on the paris streets to go after her i don't think so like exactly you know. he doesn't even really know what else going on yet i think i've said this in past episodes i believe i'm almost positive this is the bond movie i've seen the most times because i like i said this came out right before i turned nine i did not see it in the theater but it would have been on cable like a year later and i was 10 so this is like a perfect movie for like a 10-year-old to watch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I, pr- I probably had a VHS tape that was like Back to the Future, Rocky mm-hmm. Four, View to a Kill. Uh, yeah. You know, where I taped it off TV or whatever. So I know I've seen this movie so many times. But I don't think I've... But I've only seen it a couple times like as an adult because it's just... Mm-hmm. It's it's a very different movie as an adult. I don't even know how much I mm-hmm. liked it as a kid. It was just action and it was fun. So I watched it a bunch, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I, it's one of my least favorite bond films so far. Um, I think I noticed things too, because we're covering these so close. I like Grace Jones. I really do. Like I, I like her and I think for at least half the movie, she's interesting, but watching this right after I watched what Barbara Carrera did with a very similar role, uh, mm-hmm. And that's not Grace Jones' fault. I mean, she didn't write the script, but that takes it down a little bit. And also, while, while I was watching this, I was thinking maybe it's good they killed Barbara Carrera's character because Grace Jones' character just be, ends up becoming like this fucking damsel in distress at the end. And it's awful. Mm-hmm. Like, she's upset and she's just like, I can't believe he did this to me. I love, you know, he yeah, loved me. You know, it just kind exactly. of that bullshit. It's, I mean, she yeah. didn't say that, but that's. That's it's why. kind of the sentiment, though. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. he, she thought he cared about her or whatever. But uh, and yeah, and they even did this thing during the filming. We didn't mention this, but like when they're in the water and there's all that stuff, all the electricity and stuff yeah. is, is firing off. That actually genuinely brought a reaction to her to scream and, oh, because she thought it was actually like she, they didn't tell her that yeah. it was um and uh and grace jones went to john glenn and said you didn't tell me about that and he goes yeah i got the reaction i wanted didn't i or whatever oh my god but but it's the the character that you set up is not that character though that's what's that's what's upsetting about it so like you may have gotten your your genuine reaction good for fucking you john glenn but you didn't get the character is completely changed now and Uh, she needs someone who's really cool 
Yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous. And then uh, she and now she does a, a noble thing at the end. She I does. thought that's pretty cool where she gets stays on the handbrake mm-hmm. or whatever it is and uh you know so that the the little cart goes out with the bomb and everything. And I think that's pretty cool. It's like get Zorin yeah. for me. I like all that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. but the fact that her whole character changes and and yeah, has to be saved is is uh, sucky. I agree. Uh, Christopher Walken is another reason I hear people like this movie. I don't think he's bad by any means. I but like he's really subdued for the majority of the movie, which makes that scene with the with the guns even fucking crazier. Because yeah, yeah, I feel like he just goes from zero to sixty really quick, and he's supposed to be psychotic. Like they he's keep, supposed to be a psychopath. That's they, the thing that kills me. They I keep was, saying I, that. I mentioned this. the 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 reason why that that gun thing at the end seems so out of place. Is they've just been saying he's psychopathic yeah, the whole but he had time, shown and it. and they and they and you you get the idea that oh he's gonna he may have some real crazy uh you know he may be real crazy when the, the general Gogol guy shows up and says hey you were a super soldier or whatever and yeah like it would have been nice to see him more doing more crazy stuff all the way through it. exactly um or so or just not have that scene with the gun you know <laughs> yeah exactly Either but they way. do I, they keep. Like, it's like they, they keep saying, like, this guy's psychotic. But it's like, yeah, but he's not really... Act- like, he seems really in control, and he knows... There's that... the One of the scenes I like, uh, and one of the moments I like when walking, it's a really small scene, but it's when he invites... Uh, he still thinks... Oh, we didn't even mention that Bond is undercover as fucking this guy named Sinjin Smith Smythe? Sinjin Smythe? Is that yeah, what? yeah. John St. Smythe or something like that. <laughs> that he's like, it's Sinjin Smythe. Uh, well, this is the this is the only movie I remember in a long time where he actually uses aliases throughout because yeah, he uses that's true. a that's true like a John is some other name he uses as a reporter for the Financial Times oh, or that's whatever. Right. It, I think that's so, just like John Smith or so. it's nothing. It's, it's nothing John great. Stack or John or yeah, something it's, like that. Something like that. It yeah. kind of feels Fletch like, which is funny because they both came out this mm-hmm. year and they finished yeah. right right by each other in the in the in the in the, in the uh, box office. <laughs> right. But yeah, I, I, uh, anyways, that Sinjin Smythe, so, uh, Walken still doesn't know what the deal with him is. They're pretty sure that he went to, like, the barn and was messing with the steroids or whatever, but they can't prove it. So, Walken has him come to the office, and Walken is given the impression that he's looking up on his computer, like, information about horses that he could sell them, because uh, Bond is pretending to be somebody interested in horses. Um, and, uh, there's, like, a camera behind a mirror, and so it takes a picture of him, and then like while Walken's talking, he's like looking at the computer, and then all of a sudden it shows his face, and it says, "This is James Bond," which I think that's kind of crazy. There's just some computer mm-hmm. program that like tells you. But yeah, it's a cool scene yeah. because it's just the way Walken plays it, and Walken like doesn't miss a beat, just keeps talking to him, like you know, we'll go check out your stallion, we'll get you a stallion. It, I don't know, it's just it's yeah, like a cool yeah, scene, but yeah. like that is not like a psychotic person, like to me. I mean, that just doesn't like that seems like a person that knows exactly what he's doing and uh, isn't isn't yeah. isn't going by emotion also, at that point, you know. Well, I guess that which also leads to this just weird. I guess you don't what? really have emotions if you're truly psychotic. I I, I just that yeah. So no, that you was don't. Not what I meant, but the, but the, but it it leads to that weird scene where he has to stay on the horse or whatever and to go through all th- all the different like booby trapped yeah. equestrian stuff like a professional horse rider wouldn't <laughs> like, be able to do but somehow bond does it yeah and and then that's when at the very end they wheel out you know his buddy who they killed and and uh you know he's in the back of the rolls royce dead uh because he <laughs> 
because he goes off to clean his car and Grace Jones is in the back seat the whole time and then strangles him in the car wash. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, they 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 uh, they they wheel that Rolls Royce in during that uh, event or whatever, and he gets off the horse because it's his buddy or whatever. And Christopher Walken's like, "Well, you lost." <laughs> yeah, that's you true. Know? Yeah, he says, "I actually yeah. wrote that down." And then like yeah. uh, Bond says, "Killing Tippett was a mistake," and then Zoran's like, "Well, I'm going to make that same mistake twice." <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah no it's silly but i but i do i do like that bit i also like the i do like the bit shortly before that where bond has to get back into the house without being caught he starts to go to his room but he can see the lights on so he knows like walking and grace jones are probably in there so he runs to grace jones's bedroom and then she just and, and he's just like i because she had said something to him earlier like we'll take i'll take care of you or you'll be taken care of or something and he's like, I hope you do personally. Mm, yeah. And then he's in the bed and he's right. like, I was just waiting on you to take care of me personally or whatever. And then she's like, I guess I'll have sex with mm-hmm. him. I don't know. It's just a really, it's kind of a funny yeah. scene. And then also like Zoran's like, yeah, go ahead and have sex with him. That's cool. Like, <laughs> right, right, right. You know, I've, I've had sex with you just five seconds ago, but yeah, go ahead. It's just, it's go funny. Ahead and, do and I do, and I like the like Bond gets on top of her and then she immediately like throws him over and gets, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm in control as as here. Like a, like a Bond hookup moment. Mm. It's, it's probably one of the more interesting ones. Um, and then they throw in that whole thing. Like the KGB thing is irritating because then he goes off and he meets the 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 Olga character or whatever. And uh, w- we don't know who this is, but he knows her. And then they have a weird scene. And that's where she does that. You know, I've got bubbles in my Tychowski because he starts playing. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's this scene yeah. that like. He goes in the car. She goes back in the car with Gogol, and they put the tape in, and it looks straight up out of a scene from Seinfeld. We even put like a, I think I don't know if it was in the actual sin part or if we just did an outtake, but when they put the tape in and <laughs> it starts playing music or whatever or something, and then they both give that like sitcom look, like what you know, and I think we put yeah, in like yeah, a bow bow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, I don't really have a ton to say about it. It's just it. Oh, and also the other thing I really noticed that this movie really rips off Goldfinger. Like this movie, I mean, they're like mm-hmm. I think it's funny when it says we we just took the title, but then we wrote an original script. Like, what is original about this script? Like, I mean, you've got the you've got the meeting, you've got the fact that they go to his like estate. Uh, I don't remember if Goldfinger yep. had horses or not. I can't remember, but he had like planes and all that kind of stuff. But uh. But anyways, there's this whole sequence that takes place at the estate where Bond's, you know, I guess he's not pretending to be somebody else in Goldfinger. I don't think he's supposed to be an agent, though, because he's saying his name. Oh, no, he knows who he is at that point. That's right. Goldfinger takes him to the estate because that's when he gets out of killing him because Bond is like, I know more than you think I do about Operation, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the whole the whole thing about Goldfinger is that, and, and they say yeah. this in this movie, too, to, to go back to your point. Is that if you kill me, they're yeah. going to send even more agents this way, and so that's somehow a deterrent. I don't know why, but it it is. Uh, they say that in yeah. gold. He does that in Goldfinger, and just to kind of like, okay, well then I'll just keep you here, so that exactly. you can't report back. I guess, and then and then the same thing happens <laughs> in this movie as well. And then the like I said, the stuff with Tanya Roberts is weird. It's not fun. It's there's not like they have no chemistry um, because like yeah easily be your dad or whatever but um they have zero chemistry and uh 
Oh, I, I don't know. That shower <laughs> oh scene at the end is pretty pretty hot. Is that, that's a mm. Q's in there, right? Or Q like, or Q has a camera yeah, or whatever. Yeah, Q's got his robot. Yeah. Q's got a robot that comes in and oh, sees yeah. them. And there's a scene, like there's a shot of Q almost like he's getting like randy about it yeah. too. And I was like, no, we don't need that. Um, but like, uh, the, I didn't think of it this way, but, uh, Roger Moore throwing the towel at the end oh, yeah. is like him throwing in the towel for the end of the James Bond franchise and everything. I, thought about that so either, I didn't but... even think about that either, but, uh, so yeah, that, uh, that's kind of a neat thing. I just realized the other day that AI came out in 2001. I was like, Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> Never mm-hmm. thought about that before. <laughs> I was like, yep. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, no, that, that's a good point. But yeah, oh yeah. I love like, it's an eighties movie too, because it has like a shitty robot in it. Like, you know, yep. welcome to 1985. Always. Happy birthday, Polly. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, yeah, this movie's just not good. I it's, it's definitely in that lower tier. Uh, I, I, it's probably a better movie than man with the golden gun. I mean, it is definitely a better movie than man with the golden gun, man with the golden gun. might It be is more... clearly better than man with the yeah. golden gun. Man with the golden clearly. gun might be a little more fun to watch. I don't know, but I mean, I, I don't really want to have to make that decision anytime soon. So. I don't know. The, 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 we it's talked better. about it in the man with, we talked yeah. about it with the man of the golden gun reviews that it feels like it was shot for TV. Exactly. It feels like yeah. a Columbo no. episode. This or is something a movie like, that. like this is, yeah. they're going for it here. They're trying mm-hmm. to be a big blockbuster uh spectacle and uh you know pretty much moving forward i mean that's pretty much what we get yeah man with golden gun was a weird like let's see if we can do this cheap (laughs) Mm -hmm. yep ah that's fair yeah so it's not that bad but it's it's in that i mean it's it's not far above it you know like it's it's Mm -hmm. i mean i definitely like as far as what we've rewatched recently i i like this less than most uh yeah you know uh it's a little more than it's just dull like it's it's pretty bad like like you said Mm -hmm. i think the story is just so corrupt like it just doesn't work mm-hmm. uh and the character and the stuff with zorin doesn't make sense and then all of a sudden he's like batshit crazy uh mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know are you is there anything else you want to talk about or you want to do our rankings uh wait well, yeah, let's do our rankings awesome so for the rankings we are now going to rank this film in five different categories our scale will be based on something that uh bond holds near and dear to his heart as long as they're shaken and not stirred and that would be martini's so for each category, we're going to rank from one to five martinis, five being the best damn liquid that has ever passed your lips, and one being the well liquor you had to settle for or were too drunk to care that night. Um, so first, oh, well, we've already kind of, I mean, we've definitely already kind of talked about the story. I mean, I this feels, I mean, for me, I mean, it's, I think it's a two star. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. really have much else to yep. add. If it wasn't for the insanity of the story, yeah. I'd have I'd probably put this at a one. Uh, but the insanity kind of gives it a little bit of elevation to it because that's kind of fun. Yeah, but, and Grace uh, Jones is decent for most of the movie. I mean, Grace Jones is fun for most of the movie. She's definitely more than decent, but she's fun. You know, I like that character. But then, like I said, the only I mean that's not her fault. But like, it's just it's watching that like two weeks after I watched Barbara Carrera. It's just it's hard mm-hmm. not to compare them. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, but I do like when they have like the 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 female uh, hench people like that. I think they're fun. Uh, the Bond. This is Roger Moore's last performance. What did you think of it? Um. Well, because I I mean, he knows that he's too old to do a lot of this stuff, and they know he's a too old to do all this stuff. I think because, and this is weird. Like performance wise, Roger Moore is I think as good as he always yeah. be, has been. But like he's 
there's a little bit of I can I can see a little bit of exhaustion in yeah. this role. I think I don't think, especially like it's funny on the on the behind the scenes they show because it's Moore's last one. They do a montage of mm-hmm. clips. And you're seeing a lot of this stuff from all the older ones and everything. And you're like, wow, he's got a lot of life in his eyes and some of these 70s bonds. And I think that's kind of like been knocked out of him mm-hmm. by this point. So this performance, I'm going to give a two out of five um, because I, I really do think he's feeling it at this point. And it's, it, he, he's got a couple of lines here and there, but the fact that he's not in a lot of these action scenes himself the Mm -hmm. stunt doubles have taken nearly completely over by this point um and when he does show up they're always these weird green screen inserts and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um so yeah i i i think this is a two out of five i don't think his acting is bad i just think that he's just worn out at this point. yeah i'm in the same boat i i think it's pretty clear he's uncomfortable uh around some of like the the female uh, you know some of the actresses and stuff just because of the age difference stuff i mean i think it's mostly the tanya roberts stuff but he just really looks out of his element when he's trying to like mm-hmm. uh be romantic with her or whatever but uh um, yeah he's fine i mean yeah like you said i i don't it might not even technically be his worst performance but it might be the only one that i'm giving a two i can't remember if i've given a two to any of the other ones but uh he I just doesn't seem to be really that invested he's just kind of there mm-hmm. and uh like I, like you're saying, Roger Moore giving fifty percent is still better than a lot of actors, but yeah. it still feels like he's giving fifty percent. Um, right. The villain. So we've got Zorin. We've got Mayday. We've got Scarpine. Scarpine's interesting. I, that's a guy. Like, what did I say that actor's name was? I felt like I had seen him in a bunch of stuff, but then when I looked up his IMDb, I'm like, I haven't seen him in much of anything. Uh, it's um, Patrick Bacall. He was in. Uh, He's in uh, he's in that movie The Rapture with Mimi Rogers, which I've seen a few times. But he was also in mm-hmm. uh, Panic Room. Uh, he's in Clear Present Danger. I think he's probably maybe I did see him in this because he was on the TV show The Pretender, which I did not watch. But mm-hmm. like a lot of people, like a lot of kids from that time period, my parents watched it, so I would see it every now and then. So mm-hmm. maybe I saw him in that. But that's kind of your villains. Um, and then I guess Daniel Benzali, of course. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Very memorable. Um yeah. Um yeah, I, I I Christopher Walken is is fine like yeah. but again like the 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 weird uh, character traits that they are inconsistent with take his uh ranking down. I like Mayday a lot, but like uh I don't like how they change her character mm-hmm. as well by the end. Uh I, I I'm gonna have to give this a two out of five mm-hmm. as well. The villains, Same. Uh, even though I think there is the element of being a three or even a four in a way better movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there, and I don't think it has anything to do with the actors. Again, okay. I I don't think we've blamed the actors really that no. much. There's been there've been some times where I think, well, this person is not the right actor for this for this role. Um, and so it is the actor sometimes, but that's the, that's the movie's fault for picking them in the first place, I think, and not really the actor's fault. But in this case, I think they've got the right people. They just don't have the right story to go along with. And I think that also takes, and that's why also I think like it, like I, 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 like I said, I know it's better than Man with the Golden Gun, but I think like expectation wise going into this movie, you're like, you got Christopher Walken, you got Grace Jones. Mm-hmm. Like how is this not better? Like it just—it's like they totally waste them. Like, 
Yeah. I mean, I know, like, let's say they did, I mean, Christopher Walken's quite a bit older by 2006, but let's just say, like, could that Casino Royale movie is made in 1985. I mean, Christopher Walken would mm-hmm. kill in the mm-hmm. in the Mads yeah. Milkinson role. I mean, he would just kill yeah, it. Yeah, he would. You know, yeah. and it's like, but we got Christopher Walken and this is the one he's in. I don't know. It just sucked. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I'm a two as well. Um, gadgets. Uh, so this one actually does have a lot more than I thought, but it, they're, none of them are that interesting. But you've got the iceberg submarine. you got the camera ring, which he's like just taking pictures of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's those sunglasses where he can like see through windows or doors or something. Uh, which it, I, I, I hate that the fucking sunglasses, which look really cool, they're used so he can see... Uh, Zoran write a check like that's what he yeah uh, that's it yeah he has the mini copier so he can copy the check <laughs> I mean mm-hmm. I don't know it, I, the gadgets are like they, a, the gadgets are like I mean the gadgets are a two out of five yeah. and again I think I think maybe and you I think we've discovered this over the you know the 16 now although the 14 canon yeah uh, bonds um, the gadgets are something that always have seemed like a huge deal and maybe they're a huger deal in the brosnans than anything uh but they they there's there's i guess there's been enough gadgets in this in this franchise that they seem like they're way bigger than they are exactly but in the individual they just they just never have been yeah i agree all right this might be the (laughs) this might be where we differ uh Mm -hmm. the bond song from a view to a kill by the uh, I can't even remember the name of the band. They're so they're so yeah. unknown. I think it's Duran Duran. Some Durand. repeating name, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, we are going to differ on this one. I don't like this song at all. Um, I, I uh, this is a two out of five for me. Um, I like Duran Duran. There's a lot of songs that I've heard a million times. I have given this song a chance many times, and I just can't. It's not my kind of song. Um, uh there's not a great chorus to it i don't think there's not a good build up to it it's just kind of there and it's your it's your 80s fluff for me so uh uh i i think it's fun i it's duran duran and they're saying they're saying the title of the movie and everything i don't know it's not it's not it's not my cup of tea two out of five i would think in most situations this would not be my cup of tea uh i i love the fuck out of this song um Mm -hmm. i uh like this is a song like, I mean, I don't really listen to, well, I mean, I do have like Sirius XM. I do listen to radio sometimes, but I don't know that I listen to channels that like this song would play. But like back in the day, mm-hmm. like when I was listening to radio more regularly, or like if I'm listening to my playlist or something, and you better believe the songs in many of my playlists, um, if it comes up, like I immediately get like so happy. Like I'm just like, it's just one of those mm-hmm. songs that just immediately like that, that bow, 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 bow. I'm like, hell fucking yeah, yep. here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the lyrics yeah. are fucking ridiculous, but they're like so perfect for like what I think like that over like like what people think of Bond, you know, like so just like overdone and just like these crazy like metaphors, you know, a phoenix to a flame, and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Like it just it just feels like it feels like it like this might be like the Bond song. Like if you're talking about a song that is about James Bond. It doesn't get mm-hmm. much more Bond than this. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, this is a five <laughs> for me. Okay. Uh, All right. At least up till now, this is my favorite Bond song. Um, I've often said it's my favorite overall. I'm not saying it's the best, but like Live and Let Die is a much better orchestrated musical number. 
-hmm. Goldfinger is a much better orchestrated musical number. I totally get that. But this song just makes me happy. And uh, Mm -hmm. I love the opening credits, too, on this. And we didn't really talk about that. uh, But I like the song. The song really goes well with the way they did the opening credits in the eighties. Uh, these opening credits are yeah. horny as fuck, by the way. Like I, like that first mm-hmm. woman, yeah. like unzips her like ski suit or whatever, but her baby <laughs> suit. And it's like, you see like the sides of her breasts and like right under that, it's like 007 and a view to a kill or whatever. Yeah. The 007 expands uh, yeah. <laughs> as the, as the, what, as the thing what's opens. Going on? Um, and it's not like you can see breasts in no, the shot. No, 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 no. It's basically saying what it's basically doing is it to me. I'm sitting there thinking Maurice Binder is going, <laughs> yeah, but she's opening her opening her shirt, so shouldn't the 007 come out like her boobs are coming out? You know, and that's what everybody's like, yeah, yeah, totally, let's do that. Yeah, because there's actually been like nudity in opening credits before. There's not. I mean, I don't. I don't yeah. think there's any of that. It's always silhouetted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. but I love the opening credits, and I. I love these opening credits so much it also makes me dislike the movie more because like i was thinking about this because like i get like i the the pre-title sequence which we already talked about with the skiing and stuff is not good it, it well it's okay at first and then they throw that beach boy song in and it gets really mm-hmm. bad yeah but then you go into these it's really like, cool God opening credits you go into this song i really love i'm like i'm really i'm ready for a fucking great bond movie it would be like mm-hmm. I think when people talk about opening credits, they talk about like seven. Like seven's got really popular, mm, really famous, yeah. maybe the best opening credits ever in a movie. So imagine if you watch the mm-hmm. opening credits to seven, and then the movie that followed that was the Bone Collector. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what this is. <laughs> it's like it sucks so bad. It's, what a random movie! I, I know, what a random like, movie. I mean, it's not random yeah. because Bone Collector came out largely yeah, exactly. because of That's movies what I was like thinking, Seven. Like, but it's so funny. It's so funny. So, like, it's instead so of like watching though. Goldfinger or From Russia with Love or The Spy Who Loved Me, it's fucking View to a Kill. You know, it's like you're just like, <laughs> like it just like pumps you up, and then it's just like, oh, what the? And they're at a horse race or whatever, and I'm just like, God, what the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how, exactly. like I mean, it's like, I mean, that's a serious like, just you go down like so quick, and it mm-hmm. never recovers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. yeah, but I do for better or worse. Uh, this song makes me, makes me happy. That's all I know to say. And, uh, mm-hmm. if I ever actually had the nerve to do karaoke, this is definitely a song that I would love to try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it would be fun. Uh, my wife, by the way, it would be. my wife hates this song with a passion too. And she gets so irritated whenever I get really excited when it's like on the radio or something. I mean, I, I think, I think we're in the minority. You, I don't you, know. I, I, mean, I, I don't wife think so. Cause I don't know. I mean, like people that grew up in the eight, I mean, like, I don't know that I'm even a huge eighties music guy, like what people consider like eighties mm-hmm. music, but like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I think most people would say like live and let die or, or something more recent. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I think Skyfall is a really big one. Uh, yeah. I, the Billie, I think the Billie Eilish one went over okay. I don't know. I don't, the Sam Smith one, except for in the UK, apparently. I don't remember anybody talking about that mm-hmm. one. It's interesting, though. The song kind of like peaks here, I think, though. They don't really like, they get big artists to come in and do the song. They get probably bigger artists than they've ever had to come in and do the songs. But people like just don't mm-hmm. really talk about the songs. Not that there's not good ones. There yeah. definitely is after this. Mm-hmm. But um, that... Oh, there's... Yeah, there's some yeah, really good the, ones. I mean, Tina Turner one, for instance, I'll go ahead and say, I think that one's really underrated. I mean, that's a that's a mm-hmm. really fun... It is. I think so, That's too. another one that feels mm-hmm. very Bond. And see, that one actually leads into a pretty good movie. This one leads into A View to a Kill. So it's like, damn it. Yeah. Fuck yeah. you, man. I know. How do you... How do you have like one of the best mm-hmm. songs on one of the worst movies? <laughs> like that's, that's not fair. Yeah, <laughs> you have Christopher Walken, you got Duran Duran, you got Grace Jones, and you fucked it up. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyways. But like you said, it's not the worst. And we're going to talk about worse movies than this moving forward. So mm-hmm. not too many, thankfully. Yep. I don't think. I don't think so. Uh, there's, there's a couple. I, just just uh, without 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 looking, I'm going to say there's three worse than this. I come mean, out. I, we have not covered what I think is the worst movie in the franchise. And I cannot imagine that's going to change. Like, I can't, I, I, I can't see, an, like, I can't think of another one. Because I haven't watched some of these in a while. But, like, mm-hmm. I still can't imagine that, like, I'm just going to be like, oh, wait, no, Skyfall's way worse than I thought it would. No, I, I just don't, I don't see Yeah, it. no, I, I know which yeah, one you're thinking yeah. of, I mean, too. it's probably most um, people's. But, uh, it's probably most people's. But I'm going to say, I'm going to say, just estimate, just on the, the ones that I can rattle through my head, three more are going to be worse than this. Yeah, so. and I think there's one you like less than this that I like more, I think. But I could be wrong. I don't know. We'll find out. Mm-hmm. So... That yeah. is all we're doing. We're not talking about. Uh, we're not really like I mentioned. I did a recap of the of the not the story that it's based on, but it just there's just not enough to talk about in the for to do that third segment. And like I said, I said this last week. I mean, moving forward, we just might sometimes not have that third segment because I mean, there's just nothing to talk about. It has nothing to do with the story that was written, and then what they did take from other books we've already talked about in in other episodes. Mm-hmm. It's it's Goldfinger. I mean, they basically just take shit from Goldfinger and. Uh, yeah, kind of, kind of change it up. But thank you all for uh, hanging out with us this week. Uh, we hope you will join us again next week when we are moving to a new James Bond. It is Sir Timothy Dalton. I don't know if he's a sir. Is he a sir? I don't he know either. Be, but I don't know that he is. Timothy Dalton. Uh, he's going to be in his first of two movies that he did. Uh, the Living Daylights is what we're going to be talking about uh, next week. Also, before we go, we have social media. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter. Uh, we are at GoldSpy007. Uh, you can also reach out to me directly on Twitter. I am at SamLoomis13. You can email us at GoldDiamondDeath007 at gmail.com. Uh, and if you like this podcast and other things under the CinemaSins brand, we also have a Patreon you can join at Patreon.com slash CinemaSins. And if you have a second to leave us a five-star review at your podcast listening app of choice, we would appreciate it. So yeah, we're going to talk about that next week. But until then, keep the martinis dry and shaken, the Baccarat shoe moving, and the Aston Martin fully gassed. This is Chris Atkinson and Jonathan Watkins signing off, and we will see you next mission. (laughs) 